photographic memory from maps. He walked to the end of the block, turned left, proceeded two blocks, then right, and sure enough, there was St. James Park. Ryan checked his watch. He My father, Francisco, once told me, to be a man, you have to do three things. Have a son, kill a bull, and write a book. Well, I said, you've got a lot to write about if you have a son and kill a bull. My father never killed a bull or wrote a book, but he did raise nine sons and a daughter, and he did much of that work alone. My mother died suddenly of a cerebral hemorrhage at age four. This is Audible. Hard to. Prologue. Northern Spain along. There's an old Irish saying, we never get over our fathers, and we're not required to. My name is Ramon Estevez, a.k.a. Martin Sheen. 
In the summer of 2010, I got a call from my oldest son, Emilio. He was calling from the editing room where he was working on The Way, our film about a father and son pilgrimage written and directed by Emilio in which I play his father. We'd spent 40 days filming in southwest France and northern Spain along the Camino de Santiago, the thousand-year-old 500-mile route leading to the cathedral in Santiago de Compostela, where the remains of St. James the Apostle are believed to be interred. The Camino de Santiago, also known as the Way of St. James, is a sacred path for Christians, and in recent years, walking its length has become a spiritual endeavor for people of all religions and backgrounds. The Camino ends in Galicia, a region of northern Spain to which four generations of Estevez men are tied. My father, Francisco, was born and raised there, and my grandson, Emilio's son, Taylor, lives in Spain with his wife, Julia. Working with Emilio on the way was one of the most extraordinary and satisfying projects of my life, and I longed for another father-son adventure with him. And that day, Emilio was calling with just such a project. Hey, listen, Emilio said, would you be interested in writing a dual memoir? A memoir? You mean a book? Yeah, a father and son memoir. What do you say? I was intrigued. To my knowledge, no such memoir had ever been published, at least not in our profession. Married couples have written books together, but not a father and son. The possibility began to excite me, and I bombarded him with questions. Hold on, he said. I just want to know if you're interested. Of course I'm interested, I assured him. I'd work with you on anything. Do you have an offer from a publisher? Not exactly, but I have a meeting with a literary agent at my house this weekend. We're going to have lunch, chat, and see if there are enough reasons to pursue this. Then he hung up. I almost called him back to invite myself over for that lunch. After all, Emilio only lives a few hundred yards down the street from me and his mother, Janet, but I restrained myself and waited for him to report back. That weekend, I sat on my outdoor patio with literary agent Scott Waxman and David Alexanian of Elixir Films, the producer for The Way. We were drinking what I already noted, and it was like a long, drawn-out therapy session. Along the Camino de Santiago outside Pamplona, Spain, second week of filming, September 2009. The water level in the river Arga is higher today, and the current is moving fast. Yesterday, when we scouted this location, the river was a mellow stream, too mellow for our purposes. Emilio and David, our producer, went upriver to talk with the operator of a nearby dam and convinced him to release more water for the filming. Today's sequence calls for Tom to accidentally knock his backpack off an ancient Roman bridge when he pauses to rest between Rosenvias and Pomplona. The bag holds everything Tom needs for his journey, but above all, his son's ashes. So when he sees it fall into the river and get swept away, he heads into the water to retrieve it. Yesterday's knee-deep water level wouldn't have conveyed the risk Tom is willing to take to get the bag back. Still, I wasn't exactly bargaining for a whitewater situation today. Whoa, I said softly, whose idea was this? Emilio casts me a sideways glance. He doesn't have to answer. We both know who came knocking on his front door with this one. I have an idea, I announced as I charged into Emilio's living room that day, caught up in my own excitement. The bag falls into the river. 
Okay, he said calmly, closing the front door behind me. The bag falls in the river. Then what? Then it gets caught up in the current, and Tom jumps in after it. He rolls this way and that. I acted out the motions for him as I spoke. That sounds kind of dangerous, Emilio said. You're really going to jump in the water? Sure, why not? You can tie a rope around my waist for safety. He looked at me for a long moment. So, after a fifty-year acting career, now you want to become an action hero? We both laughed. If I can work it in organically, I will, he said. The river scene comes after Tom has dismissed a gregarious Dutchman, played by Jörg von Wageningen, and turned his back on a bitter Canadian pilgrim, played by Deborah Kara Unger, in a role Emilio describes as the only angry Canadian in the history of film. By the time Tom reaches the old stone bridge to rest, he has committed to walking the Camino alone. I was trying to show, and Emilio concurred, you can do this journey, mister, but you're going to face more obstacles than you can anticipate, and you'd be better off as part of a community. When the backpack falls in the river, Tom is faced with two choices, let it float away and abandon his pilgrimage, or risk his life trying to save it. He chooses the latter. In Tom's mind, his son is drowning, so there's no question he has to jump in and save him. I also wanted the backpack to be its own character in the film. Generally, pilgrims on the Camino have fascinating relationships with their backpacks. At the start, they pack everything they think they'll need, and then some. After walking a while on the Camino, however, they begin to lighten their loads little by little. The refugios, or pilgrims' inns, become repositories for extra pairs of shoes, books, cosmetics, and all the other personal items everyone thinks they'll need at the outset of the trip, before they learn simply to trust. As the pilgrims lighten their physical loads, they often start to lighten their inner loads as well. But Tom's bag is Daniel's bag, and he's not willing to shed any item that Daniel carried to his death. Before we left for Spain, Janet and I went down to a sporting goods store in Santa Monica to try out hiking boots and backpacks. I was such an inexperienced hiker, I didn't even know that a backpack straps across the chest and around the waist, or how that would affect my balance. Also, I didn't train for the walk in advance. You've got to get in shape, Emilio kept urging me weeks before we left for Spain. You've got to start walking with a backpack. Even if I'd had the time to train, which I didn't, would I have used it for that purpose? Probably not. Tom didn't have time to get in shape. He arrived in France to retrieve his son's body, not planning to take a 500-mile trek with his son's 40-pound backpack. He wouldn't have been prepared for all that walking, and so I thought it better for me to be unprepared as well. In every role, actors have to find the right balance between personally identifying with the character and identifying too much, which can impose our own feelings and idiosyncrasies onto the role. For the past week, Emilio has been reminding me of all the ways that Tom and I are different. When I ad-lib a farewell or ask for a café con leche on camera, Emilio takes me aside. You've got to stop playing Martin, he says. Remember, you're Tom. You can't throw in God bless and all the best when you say goodbye to someone. Martin might do that, but Tom wouldn't. And you can't speak Spanish. But I live in California, I argue. I'd speak some Spanish if I was from California. Maybe, Emilio says. Chances are you'd know a few words if you talked to your gardener. But I don't think this guy speaks to his gardener. I don't think he even sees him. 
Well, in Starbucks, I ask for a grande latte, I insist. That's Italian. Grande is a Spanish word, too. You don't speak Spanish, Emilio says. Maybe later you can say a few words, but at this point, you've only been in Spain for a couple of days. You're still a stranger in a strange land. Then he really drives the issue home. Remember, you belong to a private country club. You're a Republican. You never would have voted for Jed Bartlett, your own character on the West Wing. Point well taken. Tom and I do have differences, after all. And a big one right now is that Tom is willing to jump in the river. Along the Camino de Santiago outside Pamplona, Spain, second week of filming, September 2009. The water level in the river Arga is higher today, and the current is moving fast. Yesterday, when we scouted this location, the river was a mellow stream, too mellow for our purposes. Emilio and David, our producer, went upriver to talk with the operator of a nearby dam and convinced him to release more water for the filming. Today's sequence calls for Tom to accidentally knock his backpack off an ancient Roman bridge when he pauses to... The water level in the river Arga is higher today, and the current is moving fast. Yesterday, when we scouted this location, the river was a mellow stream, too mellow for our purposes. Emilio and David, our producer, went upriver to talk with the operator of a nearby dam and... Doing it, but here we go. Okay. Yeah, yeah, here we go. I need to save any reaction to this. Oh, and I need to turn the TV off. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Martin Sheen, or as you might know me, President Josiah Bartlett from the acclaimed television series, The West Wing. I am honored to introduce you to this week's episode of the thought-provoking podcast, Reality Issues, with your insightful hosts, Kathy and Brian. Welcome to episode 0044, where Kathy and Brian will delve into the complex world of reality and reality television, discussing its impact on society, culture, and the very nature of reality itself. From the intriguing to the controversial, they will explore the sensation that is MILF Manor and unpack the implications it has on our everyday lives. So oh, without further ado, sensation. let's join Kathy and Brian as they navigate through the ever-evolving landscape of reality television. Ladies and gentlemen, prepare for a riveting conversation that will challenge your perspectives, provoke your thoughts, and stimulate your curiosity. It's time for reality issues. Okay, first of all, I just want to say there's never been a voice that good that we've done, and that mm -hmm. was, like, perfect. That sounds like I yeah. hired him to read that. That yeah. was impressive. Yeah, yeah. no, that, that really sounds like, a, what's, that, what's that other stupid app called? The, um, the Cameos, mm, right? I haven't tried that. But, like, but like you've heard oh, of it. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, like you can pay someone you can, for 30 like, seconds hire... of your time. Yeah. Yeah, and and like it's a uh, oh my friend is a big fan of Seth Rogen. Can you give him a four twenty birthday shout out? Yeah. And it's like thirty bucks or something, you know? Yeah, like it's basically that, right? Like, except of course, like with cameo, like it's like with their consent, and they can like refuse to participate, right? They can be like, yeah. oh, I'm not saying that <laughs> so knowing that martin sheen is a uh, a never trump republican who we do appreciate still as a human being for his acting talents especially mine i love his in, uh, grace and frankie where he pay, plays a uh, homosexual man 
who's a, like a real lib, honestly, like a perfect, the Josiah Bartlett lib, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. I, uh, I won't besmirch the man's name, but I will think about it. <laughs> I think about the fact that I could. Um, here, you know, that's really funny. I Now I want to pull up a list of actors who have played presidents and whether their, their political alignment is the same or not. Yeah. Uh, who yeah. else is president? Like Woody Harrelson played a president in some fucking thing, didn't he? he I don't must know. Have. Me... Woody Harrelson. What did he? I mean, he would make a great, well, many things really. Okay. Mm. Actors who have portrayed American presidents. So I, I think what I've also really enjoyed is that I continue to use Google, and it continues to piss me off every day. Like right now, like sometimes I, of course, duck, duck, go to the internet. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, that's a different thing. Okay, list of actors who have played the president of the United States. Trusty Wikipedia. Okay. Oh. um, Huh. So this says presidents who have played themselves. And Ronald Reagan has an asterisk, and so does Donald Trump. But it's just like... They were in movies, but they weren't the president. So they weren't really portraying themselves. Like how, or, hmm. Hmm. Let's see. I mean, they were, but like, you know, okay. So Ronald Reagan was in Alice in Movie Land. And it's a great feeling. I don't know if that's like a, where they, like, they weren't portraying presidents. They were just the actors who have been presidents. Got it. Okay. Bill Clinton was in something called The First Kid in 1996, a 1996 American slapstick comedy film directed by David Mickey Evans and starring Sinbad and Brock Pierce. It was mostly filmed in Richmond, Virginia with a cameo appearance by one Billiam Clinton. (laughs) Uh, And then (laughs) Donald Trump was in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten films. Ghosts Can't Do It in 1989. Home Alone 2, Lost in New York in 1992. Little Rascals in 94. Across the Sea of Time in 95. I have no idea what that is. An IMAX picture about a young Russian boy who travels to the U.S. in search of his ancestor's family. Fucked up. Weird. Okay. Eddie... Starring Whoopi Goldberg in 1996. Uh, the Associate, another Whoopi Goldberg vehicle. <laughs> okay, that's really strange. Let's say Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> I'm a, I'm Celebrity in 1998 by Woody Allen. Oh, like he's getting better and better film credits as we go here. Zoolander in 2001. Two Weeks Notice, a romantic comedy uh, starring Hugh Grant and Sandra Bullock, America's Sweetheart. I, um, I love Sandra Bullock. Oh, again, America's Sweetheart. Or is that Renee Zellweger? No, it's Sandy B. It's definitely Sandy B. Yeah, right? Okay. Yeah, no, except no imitators. And then apparently Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, a 2010 film directed by Oliver Stone. Was that like a sequel to wall street i guess never heard of this one how do you make a sequel to yeah a sequel to wall street with michael douglas shia labeouf the booth is in it wait 
Michael Douglas was in it in a sequel of a movie with Martin Sheen in it. I love that. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. The two the two actors I frequently confuse the most, I'd say. Josh Brolin, who I always uh, I confuse him with, with people. Like uh, what's his name? The guy who's Lebowski, Jeff Bridges. So Jeff Bridges <laughs> and Josh Brolin are the same guy to me. I confuse. They're not, I, you know, I was something real weird. I confuse Michael Madsen and Josh Brolin for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> You're... Michael Madsen has the ridiculous pompadour. I know. He's like I... he's such anyway, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, so that's why okay, so those are just the three presidents who have acted in anything. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> okay. Uh a, a greater number have been on television. Like which is to say not on like a newscaster subject of it role. In 1983, Gerald Ford appeared on Dynasty. In 1994, Jimmy Carter, probably in a crossover with Habitat for Humanity, appeared on Home Improvement. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, that was good. (laughs) Hold on. There we go. Oh. There it goes. It says it right there. All right. No, it's Soft, doing it. Patriotic okay. music. Yeah, we'll let it chew. It, GPT-4, <laughs> by the way, for everyone home, way slower than any of the other uh, GPTs. It takes like, we can see it, write it out as if, you know, a really fast typist was typing it. At this point. Yeah. Now imagine like when you're on hold at the, like on with the cable company and, and you hear the robo voice say, Please hold while we retrieve that information, and then you hear the fake typing. Pretend it's doing that. Like, it's really weird. I don't like this new world that's being created in front of us. Okay. Well, I mean, I like this shit. This is funny. Okay. And then, um, George that, so. George H W oh. was on Saturday Night Live in 1994. Huh. Bill Clinton showed up in 1997. In A Child's Wish, a 1997 American made-for-TV drama based on actual events. John Ritter stars as the father of a... I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh at just that sentence. I'm thinking of... (laughs) John John Ritter, Ritter, rest in peace. Yeah, stars as the father of a terminally ill 16-year-old girl. Yeah, there's nothing funny about that. George W. Bush shows up on SNL in 2000. Barack Obama shows up in 2007. And then yet again, our most on TV president, Donald Trump, starts his television career in 1985 on The Jeffersons. Oh, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Kathy. We just completely have to derail the entire. (laughs) Yes, yes. Donald. So Trump. apparently, Donald Trump's very first screen credit is on television. Yes. Oh, there- holy oh my god! Fucking shit! Oh no, this is a clip. this is a clip from Inside Edition. This might actually just be the clip. I guess we know who the big man is around here. <laughs> Whatever you say, George. <laughs> well, right now I'm saying, why don't you two split? I gotta get started on my acceptance speech. Okay, George, but um, don't say anything that'll go over their heads. <laughs> I'm sorry you have to leave so soon, but George should work on his speech. Well, keep it short. 
Yeah, don't talk down to him. That's how you get George Jefferson. Talk about his height. Talk about how his dry cleaning business isn't making the quarters. Talk about how his first dollar is. What's wrong with them? That's what you talk about. Wrong? And what's Washington? I mean, I heard a laughing hyenas, but I never heard no laughing zebras. Well, Weezy, I think I'll have me a little drink before I get started on my speech. Ah, hey. The Jeffersons were where very the scotch come from? Oh, Tom oh, brought oh, it down oh, to celebrate yeah. your award. I, uh, oh, he didn't have to do that. Yeah, he should have bought a half pint. <laughs> uh, Flores, isn't it dinner time? I'm not hungry. Well, I guess I could eat a little something. <laughs> Uh, George, yeah, we uh, about that award. It isn't what you think it is. It ain't. No, it's for small businessmen. Small. Oh, I know that Weezy. I've known that all along. You have? Yeah, but look, don't worry about it. Next year I'll have me ten stores by then, and I'll be a big businessman. Big. <laughs> uh, George, listen. Weezy, what I I'm can't sure. wait till tomorrow. Boy. If only Mama were alive so she could be there. But you'll be there. The woman who has shared my life for 28 years. And I know you're proud of me, even though I only own seven stores, right? Oh, right. Dennis <laughs> almost ready. What are we having? Short ribs. <laughs> Wait, 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 hold on. No, that wasn't it. Rude, hold on. I looked up more. He showed up on the episode called... Um... We're just watching the Jeffersons at this point. Yeah, no, that, that's not really a problem either. No, that's not. <laughs> so, I didn't really watch the Jeffersons, but my parents watched the fucking Jeffersons. Mm -hmm. It is my esteemed sorry, pleasure to introduce... No, 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 no they, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. That's fine. Anyway, they were like obsessed because it was like, oh, the, the, this is like the American dream of upward mobility. Holy shit. It was just like, and yeah. I was like, but they're funny. They're just, they're just jokes. <laughs> they're not, it's not real. Um, it's not going to happen to all of us. Hey, I, you know, when I watched um, things on TV, when I was growing up and a kid, I had a very interesting view of how things should and, and shouldn't be and stuff like that. It affected my expectations of a lot of stuff. Dang, I can't find my Jeffersons. My Trump Jeffersons. Let's see. I believe. I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna both keep looking. Gonna, if we have to go to archive.org, we'll find it here. Yeah, we'll find it. We'll we'll put a pin in this one, but we will in find this footage. In the meantime, um I'm going to <laughs> hold on. Um, oh no. Oh, have we done an actual intro? Hi, everyone. Hello, everyone. Hello. This is Kathy. Hello, Kathy. <laughs> I'm Brian. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to play this song because it's... I, I think all we did was face Martin Sheen. <laughs> this is what the script says to do. Um, I think I have to click here now. Soft, patriotic music playing in the background. President Josiah Bartlett, Martin Sheen. 
My fellow Americans, our homes are a reflection of ourselves, a place where we build our dreams and create memories that last a lifetime. Just as we strive to improve ourselves, we must also invest in the improvement of our homes, for they are the foundation of our families and communities. Music becomes more uplifting. President Bartlett, home improvement is not just about fixing broken fixtures or a fresh coat of paint. It is about creating a space that inspires, comforts, and fosters growth for those who reside within its walls. As president, I believe in the power of change, the change that comes from within, and the change that can transform our surroundings. Music swells. President Bartlett, together we can make our homes a testament to the American spirit, a beacon of progress and innovation that reflects the hard work and determination of our people. So I encourage you, my fellow citizens, to invest in your homes, to make them places of unity, warmth, and progress. For it is through these acts of improvement that we strengthen not only our families, but our nation as a whole. Music fades out. Voiceover. This message was brought to you by President Josiah Bartlett, reminding you to never stop improving, for a brighter tomorrow starts at home. And uh, I'm going to interrupt uh, President Jeremiah Barlett real quick to just do a little music change here. Oh, that's not what I meant. I meant this song right here. Yeah, and I've set up and tore down this stage with my own two hands. We've traveled this land, packed tight minivans. And all this for the fans, girls, money, and fame. I played their game and had to scream my name. I will show no shame. I live and die for this. And if I come off lost, bitch, you on this. Are you scared? Yes. Very Okay, so just to uh, follow that up, we play this and then we'll get the chills. Hold on. And even then, we're gonna do. Uh, we just need to take advantage of the fact that Martin Sheen is here visiting us. I yeah. mean, we want to be respectful of his time. And yeah, Martin, would you like to? Uh, he has such in? a busy schedule. I know you have one more, at least one more thing you'd like to. to right, talk they're about. working on the West Wing movie or something now, aren't they? Yeah, you have something to promote. President Josiah oh, Bartlett, Martin Sheen. You know, my fellow Americans, there's a television show from the 90s that comes to mind when we talk about home improvement. It's called Home Improvement, starring Tim Allen as Tim the Tool Man Taylor, a family man who hosts a local TV show about tools and do-it-yourself projects. Soft, nostalgic music playing in the background. President Bartlett, the show, set in the heart of the American suburbia, taught us the value of hard work, perseverance, and the importance of family. It highlighted the joys and challenges of home renovations, reminding us that even when things don't go as planned, we can learn, adapt, and grow stronger. Music becomes more uplifting. President Bartlett, Tim Taylor with his wit and charm, not only entertained us with his hilarious mishaps and creative solutions, but he also taught us essential life lessons, the significance of communication, collaboration, and lending a helping hand to our neighbors. Music swells. President Bartlett, as we embark on our own home improvement journeys, let us remember the spirit of home improvement, a show that captured the essence of American resilience and ingenuity. So grab your toolboxes, put on your safety goggles, and together, let's build a brighter future for ourselves and our families, one home at a time. Music fades out. Voiceover. 
This message was brought to you by President Josiah Bartlett, inspired by the lessons of home improvement, encouraging you to channel your inner tool man and create a better world, one project at a time. Can, can we make can we make the Martin Sheen do grunts like that? There's no way. How can I channel a better inner tool man? I started grunting and the dog ran over. He's <laughs> like, are you okay? Is everything fine? Yes, everything's okay. Like he's just staring at me. Oh, I'm so glad that we can only do 25 messages to the AI god every three hours now. They've actually taken it from 100 every four hours what? to 100 every two hours to now 25 every three hours. They're really See, luckily, <laughs> Wikipedia some... click holes are forever, though. I know. It's like, what I really want is I want to be able to be like, hey, I'm going to read this whole Wikipedia article, but I don't really want to read it. I'm going to put it in a tab here. Now, make it be read by Josiah Bartlett or, you know. Tim the Toolman Taylor. Zarvox is who Zarvox. I would like. I feel like. Yeah. Okay, so um yes. while while that finishes typing, yeah. yes. I'll just I'll just go through the list. Mm -hmm. So Donald the Don mm -hmm. goes from the Jeffersons, first screen credit, to a made-for-TV movie about a powerful New York publishing family starring Julianne Moore in 1987. Fascinating. Oh. Yeah. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, The Nanny, Suddenly Susan, The Drew Carey Show, Spin City, Sex in the City, SNL in 2004 and 2015, Days of Our Lives, WrestleMania, and then his Comedy Central roast in 2011. Joe Biden was on TV for the first time in 1993 on, guess? You're never going to guess. Yeah. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Okay, hold on. We're going to do a little sample here. <clears throat> is there is there any of these books which he's on you know, oh no wait no these are not read oh, one of them is read by him this one is read by him oh it's called promise me dad yeah let's see the days are getting Joe shorter Biden. so the oh, light that's only a two minute and 44 second thing but i can click it on here and use one of my audible credits because i don't even need that <laughs> oh yeah i just have to type it in here hold on i, I love that we're not, not we <laughs> but you know Capable of this, okay. Joe Biden. Then he goes on Parks and Rec twice. Once in 2013 and once in 2015. So he must be a big fan of the show. And then he goes on Law and Order in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> I... Morgan has played George Washington. <laughs> oh, I want to find that audio. I want to do... Martin Sheen as Abraham Lincoln. Okay, okay. So they have we I God bless. God bless the autists over at Wikipedia. There but for the grace of God go I. Ah, honestly. I mean I say that, but I have edited many a wiki page. I will admit that. So This anyway. is Audible. Wanted to do Oh wow. That's a that's a real voice right there. Okay, let's move it up a little bit here through the grandchildren okay let's let's pretend we're listening to a joe biden audiobook for five minutes can we do that i don't know if i can i don't we'll think try. i can we'll try okay, okay. um let me <laughs> press uh wait how do i screen no technically this is recording. Like a panic button. <laughs> technically this is recording on the audio device so then if i took it off 
What's the best way to screen record the audio while I'm on a Zoom call without removing the SD card from the recording device? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. You I don't know what the answer is to that. Um, <laughs> we may never know. Hold on. Actually, I do know now. I can use. It's like getting to the center of a Tootsie Pop. I the can world use the voice recorder on my phone and place that next to the headphones as I play following audio although i'll still be able to hear you too anyway i was pretty sure bo could run for president someday <laughs> and with his brother's oh, help he could on. win hold on no you have to pick it when barack and i won re-election hold on chapter nine there we go it can't be you have that. to tell them the truth oh god the whole book is about him oh jesus Christ. when i got to walter reed on memorial day afternoon bo looked better to me than i had seen him in weeks he seemed to be more aware and responsive by the hour the doctors thought maybe they'd finally had a handle on the chief problem. The pressure caused by the buildup of the cerebral spinal fluid in the left lateral ventricle of his brain. The ventricles of the brain produce, reabsorb, and drain cerebral spinal fluid in order to keep the proper balance. But Bo's system wasn't curse. draining hold properly. On. No, hold on. This is a Doc O'Connor suggested to me that it might be a buildup of dead cancer cells that had sloughed in. In very literal sense. What? So Man, I guess it's, I'm just going to have to go by like a State of the Union speech and clip out all the, the, the applauding or something. Or Holy shit. This whole book <laughs> was cursed. If I put this in to take this Is that this the one about? Because Bo was his son who passed away of like cancer or yeah, something. Yeah, that's right? the one from the burn pits and from the State of the Union two years ago. Yeah. Oof. Okay, well, let's, um... Uh, yeah, no, that took a turn. <laughs> See, these are the occupational hazards. I can hazards. go back to laughing at John yeah, Ritter yeah, yeah. playing the father of a term terminally 14-year-old. Uh, Tim, we can go back to those. Oh, hold on, hold on, yeah, let's just, let's do, I'm going to bring the mood back just a little bit. Um, <laughs> hold on, I'm going to do this here and just press this button, and then I'm going to keep looking for uh, more appropriate audio. Um, <laughs> President Josiah Bartlett. Martin Sheen. Ah, I'm glad you asked, my fellow American. Channeling your inner tool man is all about embracing the values, the passion, and the can-do attitude that Tim Taylor represented in Home Improvement. Mm. Here are a few tips to help you become a better tool man in your own life. Upbeat, inspiring music playing in the background. Embrace learning. Never stop learning and expanding your skill set. Oh. Seek out opportunities to learn about tools, upbeat, techniques, and materials, whether it's through books, online tutorials, or workshops. Safety first. Always prioritize safety when working on projects. Use proper safety gear, follow guidelines, and don't be afraid to ask for help or advice when needed. Be resourceful. Tim Taylor was known for his creative problem-solving skills. Embrace challenges and think outside the box when faced with obstacles. Foster community. Connect with your neighbors and share your skills and knowledge. Offer a helping hand or collaborate on projects to build a sense of camaraderie and support within your community. Be patient. Remember that home improvement projects can be challenging and time-consuming. Stay patient and persistent, and don't be too hard on yourself if things don't go as planned. Balance work and family. Just as Tim Taylor cared for his family, remember to prioritize wait, your wait. relationships no, 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 and make no. time for those who matter most. Music swells. President Bartlett. By embracing these here. principles, hold on, hold you can channel your inner tool man and become Excuse a driving me. force for positive change in your home. 
President Josiah Bartlett, I have to interrupt you. The whole point of the show of Home Improvement was the fact that he was obsessed with being the tool man and, not, and doing his job and not being at home and taking care of his family. That was the whole thing. That's why, like, half the show was him on a set. Wow. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. So, He's like, working, he could have a, a show. Wow. Wow. And embrace Just, the uh, um, inner workaholic of the uh, 90s kind of really what everyone had going on there oh how interesting that that that, like see because like i wouldn't know that right like i never saw the show Mm -hmm. really so like hmm he was never spending enough time with the kids always working on his cars or his projects or his tool show or you know getting getting in a rivalry with bob vila or something like that you know Oh, yeah, okay. So, like, it's funny that it wouldn't know that, right? Because it's supposed to know that shit. It's supposed to have scraped, yeah. like, fandom.com or whatever, Tim right? the tool man Taylor a good father. Whoa. Mm. Now we're getting spicy. <laughs> what would John Taffer say about, uh, about Tim the tool man Taylor in Marriage Rescue? I feel like John Taffer would be yelling at, see, and I'm saying that because John Taffer, I, I am watching Bar Rescue in the background and just, I have his dulcet tones kind of at all times. So I feel like I'm really just, I feel like I'm always trying to take some Taffer energy with me. And I'm like, yeah, you know? Yeah. Gotta keep tap lines clean, I'm, Tim, <laughs> cool man, Taylor. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm about to ask a very important question. I'm just waiting for it to finish this last one. Yeah, no, it doesn't, I it doesn't twi- type quite as fast as it used to. No, okay. Well, while it continues typing. Yes. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I have a bunch of, like, stories and stuff. We actually have a show today. My God, I have prepared, there's a lot I have prepared tons of material, and I have it saved up from a couple of weeks, actually. So let me go ahead and, and do this here. Um, let me move the whole apparatus um, there we go. Let me adjust the levels. I'm adjusting levels with the laptop. Physically. By moving. Okay. Okay. Okay, so Wikipedia is really cool because at least what they've done here is it's, they've separated out all of these spreadsheets of their wiki formatting. And this one is now actors who have played actual presidents. And it starts with documentaries and then films and then television. But it breaks it down by which president and then who played them. So it starts with George Washington and then chrono order, right? So there's like a shitload. So I'm just going to call out a a couple of things I've noticed on the real quick. In the George Washington documentaries, in the documentaries category... You have had anywhere you have like of the notables, Brian Dennehy and Martin Sheen have played George Washington. Paul Giamatti has played John Adams. Oh, I, in that lovely series, that is an incredible series. Mm-hmm. Sorry, never saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam Waterston has played both Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln. Huh. Um, Paul Giamatti has also played. Theodore Roosevelt. When? <laughs> uh, in the Roosevelts in 2014. Huh. 
Huh. An Intimate History, a, a 2014 American documentary TV. Yeah, Ken Burns. Huh. Prominent members of the Roosevelt family, Paul Giamatti. What about um, Night at the Museum? Robin Williams, didn't he play um, Teddy Roosevelt? Oh, so now we're getting into oh. n films, not documentaries. Look at what Wikipedia oh, has oh, oh. No, I know. It's, it, it took me a while to navigate. Um, Are you telling me that Night at the Museum is not a documentary, Kathy? <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry to tell you. That's really you. blowing my mind. That's the whole reason I went to the adult uh, overnight at the museum in, in New York City. Is I thought that Teddy Roosevelt uh, statue was going to come to life so that I could. <laughs> this is what we're always learning. How share my love to Rob Williams. In reality, are always being blurred. What would Holden Caulfield say about a night at the museum? What would, what would <laughs> President Josiah Bartlett? say about his love for the film series a night at the museum and whom are his favorite characters and actors in the film series we'll find out soon don't worry about that okay so in the films george washington's portrayal in film begins in 1909 I'm going to skip down a little because obviously, but for George Washington, we finally start to get interesting when we get to Jeff Daniels, oh. John Voight. John Voight. What was that? John Voight portrayed George Washington in An American Carol, 2008, a satirical comedy film directed by Zucker, Zucker. And someone else. Wow, okay. Well, uh, fascinating. Everyone, Angelina Jolie's father has played the father of our nation. Yes. Father of Thomas our... Jefferson, Nick Nolte, Jefferson in Paris, 1995. James Madison, Burgess Meredith, 1946. Uh, John Quincy Adams. Anthony Hopkins in Amistad, 1997. Andrew Jackson. Uh, Lionel Barrymore in 1936. And then again in Ooh, 1952. That's an interesting idea, too. What are the earliest depictions of presidents in films? It's interesting to see how like some of like Andrew Jackson has like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten entries, including two with Charlton Heston. Hmm. Another so apparently Lionel Barrymore and Charlton Heston both uh, admired Jackson enough to portray him twice in separate things. They're not like sequels. Okay, and then. Who else is interesting here? Abraham Lincoln, first portrayed by Francis Ford in 1912. Henry Fonda in 1939. Brendan Fraser in 2000 is Abraham Lincoln in the film Bedazzled. Yes, that is a great movie. That is a very yeah. funny movie. Never saw it. Okay. Background so, music. That was kind of uh, his, both his and Elizabeth Hurley's kind of last 
films in Hollywood before both of them kind of quit Hollywood for sexual assault uh, claims on both of, or I mean, events that happened to both of them. Like, whoa, Elizabeth Hurley eventually quit and married off to someone because she's quoted, been quoted as saying like how disgusting Hollywood and her experience with it was, and specific examples. And then also, you know, obviously we know that Brendan Fraser most recently and all that stuff. But um, well, since we just went from Henry Fonda to Brendan Fraser, let us next go to the next Abraham Lincoln portrayer, which is Daniel Day-Lewis, hmm. and then skip down to G Gottfried, may he rest in peace, who Doesn't also portrayed Lincoln in A Million Dies to Die in the West, and then Will Forte portrayed Abraham Lincoln on two separate occasions, each for the Lego movie and then the Lego movie sequel fascinating shit yeah that is interesting i like um s grant has a shitload of entries a lot of entries i don't know why oh, including Tom Garrett. we have an important message from uh, president jo jo josiah bartlett Excuse oh good, good, good background good, music good. intense reality tv style music John Taffer, known for his expertise in rescuing struggling businesses and relationships, would likely have some insights to share about Tim, the tool man, Taylor's parenting and marriage style. John Taffer. When it comes to Tim Taylor's parenting style, there are a few things that stand out. First, he's a loving father who genuinely cares about his children. However, he can be clumsy and sometimes struggles to find the right balance between work and family life. It's essential for Tim to recognize these challenges and continue working on improving his communication and listening skills to better understand and support his children. Music transitions to a more hopeful tone. John Taffer. As for Tim's marriage, he and his wife Jill have a strong bond, and they work together to overcome life's obstacles. But there's always room for improvement. Tim should focus on being more present and attentive to Jill's needs and concerns. Open and honest communication is the cornerstone of a healthy marriage, and Tim should strive to maintain that in his relationship. Music Swells. John Taffer. The key for Tim Taylor is to continue growing and learning from his experiences, both as a father and a husband. By doing so, he can foster a stronger, more supportive family environment and create a lasting, loving marriage. Music Fades Out. Music Fades Out. Voice Over. This message was brought to you by John Taffer, host of Marriage Rescue, providing insights into the parenting and marriage style of Tim the Toolman Taylor, and encouraging us all to prioritize open communication and personal growth in our own relationships. And with promotional consideration provided by bartender in the MacArthur Foundation, John Signs and Esri. Hold on, I have one more message from President Josiah Bartlett, um, I believe. I would, however, like to give Ezri a, a shout out. Soft, they nostalgic music playing in. <gasps> oh, let's see. Background, President Josiah Bartlett, Martin Sheen. My fellow Americans, I have a great appreciation for the Night at the Museum film series. These delightful movies bring history to life in a way that is both entertaining and educational, reminding us of the magic and wonder that can be found in the past. Music becomes more uplifting. President Bartlett. As a lover of history, I am particularly drawn to the characters who represent important figures from our past, such as Teddy Roosevelt, portrayed by the late, great Robin Williams. His performance captures the wow. spirit of Roosevelt's I leadership and charisma, inspiring us to be courageous and strive for greatness.
music swells. President Bartlett. Another favorite character of mine is the mischievous duo, Jedediah, played by Owen Wilson, and Octavius, played by Steve Coogan. Their unlikely what? friendship and humorous banter provide a delightful reminder that, despite our differences, we can come together to achieve great things. Music continues. President Bartlett. The Night at the Museum films are a testament to the power of imagination and the importance of understanding our history. They serve as a reminder that by learning from the past, we can build a brighter future for ourselves and future generations. Music fades out. Voice over. This message was brought to you by President Josiah Bartlett, sharing his love for the Night at the Museum film series and the characters who bring history to life, inspiring us all to embrace our past and look forward to a brighter future. We can have like a Delta City Josiah Bartlett. We can have like what Josiah Bartlett would do in 2077 when the world is uh, just barely run by American government and almost we're almost to the corporate rule. That's... No, it's like equivalent of the like Josiah yeah. Bartlett Futurama head, right? Exactly. Like, no, that's, that's like kind of what I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So the other um, people who have portrayed PR, in addition to Robin Williams, are Tom Berenger in Rough Riders in 1997, Ed Metzger in The Curious Case of Benjamin Button in 2008. But like, William Howard Taft has like one entry. William G. Hardin has, oh, William Warren G. Harding has one entry, which is Harry Dean Stanton, but it really? links to but it links to it's a it's a movie called the legendary curse of the hope diamond but like there's no name. wiki entry it's a red it's a red entry yeah <laughs> very disappointing <laughs> lots of people have wanted to portray fdr because of course they have um john voigt has portrayed him bill murray has portrayed him um <coughs> I guess that's it. Do you think I could Truman. portray John Voight in something? I think I think John Voight. Um, like I still see him as like the Midnight Cowboy, you know. So like I feel like with Dustin Hoffman, you know. So I feel like I'd want him to be in his Midnight <laughs> Cowboy persona, and then also president. <laughs> you know, that was one of the movies that I rented on Netflix. I talked about this earlier. Um, when I was going through like the IMDb top 100 and it was like, yes, I'm going to be a studied film nerd. This is of course in like the year 2000, 2001. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to learn about all these movies. And I know that that's on that top 100 there somewhere, but I obviously don't remember watching it. I know I've seen it. It's like Dog Day Afternoon. I have the same memory of Dog Day Afternoon. I know kind of what happens. I know that Al Pacino is in it. I basically know what it's about. And that it was kind of like, you know, progressive for its time and stuff. But like, that's it. <laughs> no, watch it. It's good. Yeah. Okay, um, let me see what else. Ronald Reagan was like portrayed by a lot of comedians. Like, it's funny because you can see when we go from like um, the like mythology of the founding fathers into fuck these people. Like the TV age. Yeah, like once you get into like Harry Truman and Dwight D. Eisenhower, you start getting more comedians portraying these people. And then once you get to like JFK, I mean, you have serious ones, right? But like, 
Yeah, so Lyndon B. Johnson is portrayed by Randy Quaid, Leif Schreiber, Brian Cranston, and Woody Harrelson. Ronald Reagan gets portrayed by Rip Torn, Philip Baker Hall, Anthony Hopkins, John Cusack, Kevin Spacey, and Bruce Campbell. Hold on, we have to see this. That can't be. No, it's wild. Clip on YouTube of him doing this. Maybe we have to wait until they die, I guess, but then there's like a dearth of like. Like then, then like the George H.W.'s and the Bill Clintons, like they're not names exactly like they're like character actors who are like impersonators right but you're yeah. not seeing a comedian portray <clears throat> bill clinton at least not until you get into the television section you get like snl and shit right but like in film mm-mm-mm. in film very they frequently go for someone who looks like the person rather than someone who can like embody the person which mm-hmm. is weird Mm-hmm. How about though the guy they had do Clinton on the, uh, what was it even called? The Monica Lewinsky scandal show. That, oh yeah. What was that? Anyway, that thing. Uh, American Crime Story. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Clive that, Owen. Yeah. See, that was just taking Clive Owen, and turning him into President Bill Clinton. That was crazy. Like I, I really like Clive Owen, and it wasn't until about three quarters of the way through where I was like even recognizant that that was actually Clive mm-hmm. Owen because I wasn't looking at the credits or anything. But, um, makes me think of Anthony Hopkins as Ronald Reagan and how we can't find a clip of that for some reason. I'm telling you, it's wild. Wild. Hmm. I forgot that Phil Hartman had, had originally played Bill Clinton. There Come back, Phil Hartman. Clip of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is a great, this is a classic clip. In fact, I kind of want to, like, go find, like, the real... Behold, Old and Spice, a hey, sacred hey, source yeah, of it. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm gonna type we'll let that out. Yeah. We <laughs> yeah, can't the, risk the, that. The two and a half seconds of Bold Spices, or whatever it says. Um, Bill <laughs> Clinton. Um, Phil Hartman. <clears throat> Rest in peace. Oh, yeah, that one where he goes to get a burger. Crank the audio here, everyone. You're not supposed to hear anything yet. It's supposed to, like, be... All right, boys. Let's stop in here for a second. I'm a little parched from the jog. Oh, sir, we've only been jogging for three blocks. Besides, Mrs. Clint asked us not to let you into any more fast food places. Well, I just want to mingle with the American people, talk with some real folks, maybe get a Diet Coke or something. All right, fine. But please, don't tell Mrs. Clinton. Jim, let me tell you something. There's going to be a whole bunch of things we don't tell Mrs. Clinton. Fast food is, uh, is the least of our worries. This is okay, 1992. Oh, my God. Two Clinton. Oh, my God. Hey, hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. How are you? Oh, that's an adorable baby. What's your name, sweetheart? Her name is Shakira. Shakira. That means African princess, doesn't it? Why, yes! (laughs) Well, she certainly is beautiful enough to be a princess. Say, you gonna finish these fries? Uh, no. You want some? 
Papa, if you're not going to eat them. <laughs> mm, those are good. Well, Shakira, you take good care of your mom now. Hi, how are you? Hello, good to meet you. How you doing? Hi. How we doing over here? Not too shabby. Less Holmgren. Holmgren Hardware. We voted for you, sir. Well, thank you, Les. So you own your own hardware store, huh? Yes, sir. Since 1972. Well, good for you. This is Chris You know, we Farley want to create a network home. of community development banks to lend money to small businesses like yourself. I see your boy doesn't like pickles. <laughs> nah, he hates them. You mind? <laughs> Thanks a lot. Well, good luck to you. I'm going to wake up every morning thinking about you. Thanks, sir. Oops, forgot one. <laughs> Hi, Mr. President. I, I'm Kevin O'Brien, manager of the store, and I, I just want to thank you for stopping by again. This is Tom again. Arnold, everyone. Well, thank you, Kevin. You got a Tim real Meadows American family too. place here. And, uh, is it too late for an egg McMuffin? Well, normally we stop well. serving breakfast at 11, but for you... Thanks Not so much. Meadows, hey, should I scare up some of the big greasy sausage patties you like? <laughs> you read my mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> prefer a McLean burger. Or a garden salad. Oh, uh, good. Yeah, no, that's Tim Meadows. Um, I'm a that's sophomore Meadows, in college, then, um, and I may have you know, to drop out him. because my parents can't afford the, the tuition. Yeah. Speak of the devil, that's, that's one of those McLean sandwiches, sandwiches isn't it? Right. Yeah, would you like to try it? Well, he maybe did? just a bite. Oh, I got you, I got you. That's not bad. Well, you know, my National Service Trust Fund would allow every student... No, he's totally like still alive. You mind if I wash it down? Oh. Sorry, I did that for you. I, I need to be better about that. Mm. That well, really has a spot. <laughs> Dear Mr. Clinton, it's your Egg McMuffin. Oh, home, thank you, Kevin. Have you got any of that sweet and sour sauce, you know, the ones you dip the McNuggets into? For your Egg McMuffin? Or a barbecue sauce, whichever. You, you can use mine. Oh, great. Thank you. Here, just, just pour it right on there. I, I have a question. That's it. Wow. Pour, pour it all on. Really good everyone. Um, do you favor the uh, decision to send you know military forces to Somalia? Mm. There was a clip of in, in the previous yes, episode. Let me tell you why. See, right now, we're sending food to Somalia. But it's not getting to the people who need it because it's being intercepted by warlords. <laughs> and it's not as rough. It's other countries, too. Like, your McNugget is released from Great Britain to Somalia, intercepted by warlords. <laughs> this guy's Malaya fish sandwich, aid from Italy, warlords. <laughs> so it doesn't matter how much... doesn't matter how much food you send. Um, a McDLT, a hot apple pie. It's just going to end up in the hands of Warlord. Now, what's the... Bill about to choke in real life. <laughs> now, with the broad international military force, we can make sure that this McRib sandwich gets to the people who need it. See? Sure. Uh, it sir, I think we should probably hard continue to jog. I'm right gone about an eighth of a mile. All right, all right. You guys up for a real run? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Race to the pizza hut. There you go. That was Phil Hartman. You might remember him as TV's Jombie. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, uh, and as Simpsons attorney, uh, <laughs> what's it, Lionel Hutz? I can't believe I almost forgot that. Unfrozen caveman. Yeah. Lawyer. Oh my God, unfrozen caveman wanna, lawyer was what? my absolute favorite sketch of. Oh, I'm missing so much. One hundred thousand years ago, a caveman was out on, hunting uh, on the frozen wastes when he slipped and fell into a crevasse. In 1988, he was discovered by some scientists and thawed out. He then went to law school and became unfrozen caveman lawyer. <laughs> he used to be a caveman, but now he's a lawyer. Simple as that. Gas Plus actually gives you gas for those times when you feel like being the Joker. And by National Escort Service, if you don't get a prostitute to your door within 15 minutes, you don't pay. And by Happy Fun Ball, still legal in 16 states. It's happy, it's fun, it's Happy Fun Ball. And now, tonight's episode of Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. You know, AI Mr. can pass the Are you ready to give your summation? Excuse me, I couldn't hear you it's over the just comedic gabbling. And yes, I'm ready. Thank you. Put my ear up to the microphone, see if it helps. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury. I'll hold it. I'll hold it. I'm just a caveman. I fell in some ice and later got thawed out by some of your scientists. Your world frightens and confuses me. Sometimes the honking horns of your traffic make me want to get out of my BMW and run off into the hills or whatever. Sometimes when I get a message on my fax machine, I wonder, did little demons get inside and type it? I don't know. My primitive mind can't grasp these concepts. But there is one thing I do know. When a man, like my client, slips and falls on a sidewalk in front of a public library, <laughs> then Perhaps he is entitled to no less than two million dollars in compensatory man. Seems damages. Seems to be working for me. And two million dollars in punitive so damages. Thank you. The jury will now Go back and kill baby Rob Schneider. Your Honor. We don't need to retire. Key Rock's words are just as true now as they were in his time. We give him the full amount. Did you hear that, Mr. Key Rock? Hang on a second. I I'm sorry, Your Honor. I was listening to the magic voices coming out of this strange modern invention. This has been Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. Um, Join us next week for another episode. Here's a scene. So... Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. First of all, let me say how happy I am to be your nominee for the United States Senate. Thank you. 
You know, thank you. You know, I, I really don't understand your Congress or your system of checks and balances because, as I said during the campaign, I'm just a caveman. I fell in some ice and later got thawed out by scientists. But there is one thing I do know. We must do everything in our power to lower the capital gains tax. Thank you. Thank you. Listen to the clip. Well, I was saying that AI can, yes. can now pass the LSAT exam. So apparently a bunch of lawyers are quaking in their boots that their job is going to be replaceable, which well, yeah. as long as it, all it takes to win a trial is pass an LSAT, then yeah. You know. Yeah, right? <laughs> Which maybe. Yeah, actually. Maybe yeah. by the time people get to actually kind of doing trials of their own, they forgot a bunch of stuff, so I, I don't know. You'll no, it's to, terrible. You'd have to tell me. It's terrible. Um. No, it's terrible. No, it's, it's all awful. No, he was, because he, he played, I think, a few different characters on, on Pee Wee, no? Because I remember he was also the captain. He was like a boat captain. <clears throat> yeah, let's see. Here, we'll click here. Hello, Pee Wee. Hey, you've been flying, huh? Yeah, I just flew from the ship, and boy, are my wings tired. <laughs> Gosh, it must be cool to fly. You mean, you can't fly, Pee Wee? No, I can't fly. I'm a human being. I can't fly. Oh. Bummer. <laughs> Is this right, Terry? Look. <laughs> oh, Pee Wee, stop it. You're killing me. I'm dying. <laughs> oh, very good, Pee Wee. You know, it's too bad you can't fly. It's probably one of the neatest things in the world, next to shaving. Nah, I can't shave either. But I'd much rather be able to fly. If I could fly, I'd be the luckiest boy in the world! Yeah, it's heavy, all right, Pee-wee. Yeah, Pee-wee. Psst! They say that Captain Carl is a bad mother. Shut your mouth. Well, I'm only talking about Carl. I can dig it. Down what are you doing here? You're supposed to be watching the ship, you crazy flying lizard! Get out of here! Captain Carl, did you remember to wash your hands? No! <laughs> Just fine, you peewee. Captain Carl always remembers to wash his hands. Oh, a, a sailor, sailor travels to many lands. Any place he pleases. And he always remembers to wash his hands so he don't get no diseases. <laughs> I'm getting it, I'm getting it, I'm getting it, I'm getting it, I'm getting it. Thanks, Pee-wee. Hey, a big shell. That's right, Pee-wee. From Treasure Island. Hold it up to your ear. No, your ear, not your ear. Crazy kid. Cut the call. I can hear something in here. It's the sea, be the sea. <laughs> when a seafaring man is taken from the sea, he always yearns to return. That's why old King Neptune put the sound of the sea in every shell. So as a sailor stuck on land, he'd never be lonesome for the briny blue. That one's for you, boy. 
Lucia. That's your show. Real quick, and I'm gonna I'm gonna press this button right here for anyone at home. Oh yes. The Pee Wee Herman show is a stage show developed by Paul Rubens in 1980. It marks the first significant appearance of his comedic fictional character, Pee-wee Herman, five years before Pee-wee's Big Adventure and six years before Pee-wee's Playhouse. The show initially debuted as a midnight show in February 1981 at the Groundlings Theater and was later moved to Los Angeles's Roxy Theater, where the HBO cable network taped one of the shows and aired it as a special that year. This TV special was released on DVD by Image Entertainment July 18, 2006. This nightclub show had more adult humor than the later children's television series. <clears throat> but it is uh, beloved. I've never seen like the whole thing. I'm just oh, I I absolutely have. But I've seen um, the, the, I, the later show. But. Yeah, no, like I mean, I had a. Um, Back around the 2006 era, when everything was being released on DVD, right? Um, I had like a Pee Wee Herman box set, which was like the stage show, the Christmas special, the movies, the television show. Like it had like all of it bundled. Um, I don't think I have it anymore. I mean, I... Like, I was one of those people who, like, I, I don't know, I, like, watched it a few times, and then, like, every time I would move an apartment or something, I'd be like, yeah, I don't need to keep this shit. I can just take it back to the store and resell it for store credit, and I'll get new movies I want to watch. Like, because yeah. I never really had that attachment, and never really imagined we'd be in this moment where now, if I want to go find this stupid thing, I have to, like, pirate it, wink. Or, like, go through some fucking streaming service. And, like, now it's, like, every... I, I, I don't know. I think you and I have been yelling also about the, like, how Netflix actually used to be good. And, like, not just because of the DVD service, but it actually was, like, everything was there. So, like, you paid the one service and, like, That's... why... Good. <clears throat> That's right. It was, it was that way where just if if your local store didn't have it or any store didn't have it or if you couldn't buy it even sometimes but Netflix would still have it like for rent and you know sometimes there would be like low copies for like rare things or whatever and you have to be like on a wait list but you'd still get it eventually or something and so mm -hmm. it was a very valuable thing in that way um, I don't know mm -hmm. if that still exists no but I never returned the last disc I ever had oh I still have it I have it as a souvenir okay well, that's fair I am happy so <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is real nerd shit. You know what 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 it is? I think it's a copy of a scanner darkly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's that lines up. That also lines up with like when the end of DVDs was happening as well, I, I think. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's some shit like that. It's either that or like a Bergman film. I don't remember. So yes. <laughs> I should find it. I don't know where. I don't know where. It, well, I know where it is. It's at my friend's house. I have my box of DVDs at my friend's house, and 
I was like, just watch them. And I guess she does. Sometimes she doesn't. I don't know. I don't care. But like, I should get them back. Because somewhere in that box is my souvenir Netflix. <laughs> I have... I'm going through all my stuff that I have in the garage. And I'm uh, putting things on eBay. All kinds of stuff. It's mostly books. Just hardcovers that I don't have the space for nor want anymore. I'm just trying to physically get them out. I don't really care what I'm selling them for. I'm just giving them to someone that wants to give me money for them. That's essentially it. And, um, <clears throat> like, there's at some point going to be, like, 15 million DVDs that I'm going to have to, like, either just mount as some art installation on the wall or, like, unload in one gigantic lot. Because I, there's no way that I'm going to go through and piecemeal that stuff ever. It's just not happening. No, yeah, you should do, like, like split them up by alphabet, even. The, all just DVDs from the letter B. These yeah. are all the movies in the television B shows. Yeah, exactly. Let me think. What would I even have? Maybe by color. Like that'd be really funny. Because even like, like sets go together. That's obvious. But like it could still be like set of sets, right? Like. <laughs> and you know how heavily invested in, in the 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 digital space realm I am with all my subscription services and my buying digital mm -hmm. amazon films and stuff like that i'm not um touching a physical disc i haven't touched a physical disc in a long time unless it was like from the library to like archive like a local documentary or something see like but like i would i feel like i've always had that like oh this is i'm gonna i'm gonna get rid of all of my physical media and then that's when we're gonna get plunged into the fahrenheit 451 world where we all have to like like we're just gonna have to like you know the electricity goes out or something so like internet is down everywhere streaming disappears but like you could maybe still crank the vectrola or like use a bike to generate like enough power to get the like dvd player going or something That's you funny. know there was a there was a show they had on uh, i want to say nbc for a little while there it was called I think it was called Reboot. Anyway, it was about uh, an EMP-inflicted uh, post-apocalypse and just, you know, I don't know, trials and travails of living in there and what they can do in a network, uh, both budget and, um, you know, violence content level. So it was just kind of like Fallout. It was kind of interesting in some ways. It has definitely had never been done on network television, and I think it was pretty successful for what they tried to do. Um, but that's what that show was all about was like them coming up with all the creative ways in the background of all this stuff happening of like humans would find like ways to entertain themselves and it was like finding scripts of movies and performing them and like doing it, the Victrola was actually like a thing that they had like you know um, stuff like that so no, we'd be back to like puppet shows and shit like socks with googly eyes on them or something yeah. like I think we'd be going crazy kind of right away, like swiping on photo albums. Like, like I imagine, like a, I imagine you could have like a stage set up with a number of panels, and you just like narrate stuff, and people like you know act in front of you. <laughs> yeah. You push the panel down, the next one's like the next scene, and you can have even like an action movie that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like when kids would get into a cardboard box and pretend to tell the news. You know. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna be that. Like, well, I guess it's what happened in the pandemic, right? People like went crazy, and, like. Uh, I did. Mm. Uh, Everybody did. 
Everybody did. Like, <laughs> if you didn't, like, why not? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Copy. <laughs> You're so fucking special. <laughs> Copy this text right here, just because I want to hear what it sounds like coming out of a man's voice that is a human. <clears throat> By the way, you don't have to worry about me wasting audio anyone at home anymore. I have 10 hours Reboot of Reboot is a Canadian now, computer so. <laughs> animated TV series that originally aired on YTV from 1994 to 2002. It was produced by Vancouver-based Mainframe Entertainment, Alliance Distribution, and BLT Productions. Uh, BLT the Productions. animated series was created by Gavin Blair, Ian Pearson, Phil Mitchell, and John Grace, with the visuals designed by Brendan McCarthy after an initial attempt by Ian Gibson. It is notable for being one of the first made-for-television CGI series. Five. The series follows the adventures of a guardian named Bob and his companions Enzo and Dot Matrix as they work to keep the computer system of mainframe safe from the viruses and other threats. A reimagined live-action-slash-CGI animated series, Reboot, The Guardian Code, was announced in 2015. Seven, I come from and the, the first ten episodes systems, peoples, and cities to this place. Mainframe. My format, Guardian. To mend and defend. To defend my newfound friends, their hopes and dreams. To defend them from their enemies. Uh, uh, Everyone at home, I tried to pause this about 14 seconds ago, but uh, I'm doing a lot of things with the laptop. If anyone at home would like to help with the technical capabilities of the show, you may figure out a way for us to monetize it by sending me... No. <laughs> no, actually, what you should do is... The backgrounds uh, of that show look like the videos I used to watch when I was doing cognitive behavioral ther uh, therapy. Like, oh. I, like, my therapist would sit me in this chair and make me watch these videos with these like concentration electrodes strapped to my head it was really interesting but it, it was like you were always like flying through space in this like cgi tron like environment like the lawnmower man yeah like so like wait but they were doing the lawn okay okay yeah i mean kind of but like, i wasn't like entering anything or anything <laughs> i was just i was just sitting in a fucking barca lounger okay but like no, so like, so when I was doing, this is some time ago, but I, I, I was seeing this cognitive behavioral therapist uh, and um, to help with like intrusive thoughts and things of that sort, um, the name of the game was like, okay, well, you got to learn to concentrate. And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't want to. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. The, the it was like this game and so you they would they, well they she my therapist would lay me down in this barca lounger so i'd be like totally relaxed like like i'm in a lazy boy about to set in to watch my stories um and she would put electrodes kind of like on my temples and like on the back of my head too and then you would watch this huge television screen of basically you're like a spaceship drifting through uh, like space and if you lost your concentration the little spaceship would start to veer off to the side and you'd crash and the like if you veered off to concentrate like do something else like it would do the beep 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 beep, beep. and it's like oh wow. shit 
And then you'd come back and be like, okay, concentrating on driving my little thing. And like, it was, it was like mind controlled basically. Right. Like yeah. it was, um, I, I don't know how it worked. Like actually, right. Like, I don't know what they were measuring, like my heartbeat, my, what i don't know yeah, <laughs> all no, i know is that i went to many sessions and apparently it helped right but yeah, um yeah. but it was really strange because i like as as like a gamer <laughs> i was like oh okay well this makes sense <laughs> except i have to learn to do this when like, like i'm driving or when i'm on the subway or like just walking to the corner as opposed to only when i'm like playing tetris right so I don't know. It was really strange thing to think about like, oh, so that's what's going to help me rewire my brain is concentrating on I don't know. It was just really strange, but hmm. I don't I don't know how the brain fucking works. All I know is she was the best therapist person I ever had ever. So I like that. That's a good story. Um for me, uh that that kind of feeling like I could like rewire my brain and actually, I already told that story on the show, didn't I? I think I did. Didn't I? I don't know. Well, tell it again. Rewiring my brain. For me, it was doing a tremendous amount of nitrous. In a very misguided <laughs> situation. But uh, I got there, and I got down to the very bottom and got to rewire a few things and came up like a totally different person. Very little effort um, it took in uh, making a lot of those changes. And, you know, that was, I don't know, that was 2014, something like that. Oh, so and apparently that other that that nitrous video was also a deep fake. Which, which video? The the the, the video of the uh, dude doing nitrous and going off so about crypto. So it was. So that makes reality issues now truly a show which has perpetuated a false truth, and that makes us just as good as everyone else. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there we go. No, but I feel like here's the thing, right? We're mm. this is this is what we get these like false hits or whatever, right? And we're trying deliberately to like be critical when we examine this media. We're trying to be. Yes. And even with us trying, shit gets past us and the only way that we like really find out is if we're like I don't know, still paying attention to that, right? That it wasn't just some story that went in one ear and out the other, that I could come back and go, oh, hey, by the way, good thing you told that nitrous story. Gives us One gives us a chance to correct the record, right? But more importantly, it's like, I don't know, like that second time that it dinged and I heard that it was a deep fake, like I knew what it, I was like, fuck. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I... Yeah. And if we're doing it, then of course it's going to happen to folks who like are just like, oh, I'm just going to sit down and just scroll the timeline for a bit, like in a more passive way. Like, I'm not always thinking critically, I think, when I'm consuming my media. Right. I am like, I feel like my bullshit detector is up. I don't know. It just it feels like it's just going to get harder. Right. Like there were deep fakes of the Trump arrest. There's been deep fakes of the Paris yeah. protests. Absolutely. Um, let alone, you know, let alone what weird deep fakes were on the cutting edge of Twitch streamers and their weird sexy friends or whatever. Like, that shit's weird and creepy, but, like, this other shit, as we start to get into Trump possibly getting arrested or actually consequences of January 6th or whatever the fuck. I don't know. I don't like it. Not one bit. 
I would say this, that um, even when you're trying to report the truth, that time makes fools of us all. And I would, on this, now since we're past our one year anniversary of doing the show, I would say that uh, this cover of the New York Post, which uh, I'll read in reverse on the cam, it's a pizza history, bye bye, Miss American Pie, and then below, Aw, cheese. Last dollar slice in NYC, now 150. <gasps> the last part has nothing to do with it. But. So, oh, yeah. Wow. So, here's the thing. <clears throat> as recently as December 22nd, 2021, when I posted the very first podcast that I ever made, uh, it was all zeros. I thought that was a funny joke, and I called it Pizza Tokens. This is on the podcast for all time back then. <laughs> I made it a story to talk about the history of the $1 pizza uh, thing. So now it is truly history. What I said is now truly gone. It was it was the active scene, what was left. And they were talking about there's only a few left. Yeah. So let's see if we can even find it. I haven't really listened to this. I just thought it'd be fun. Let's see wow. I should be able to figure this out. I saw a thread on Twitter recently that was like okay. lamenting the loss of Shakey's pizza. Which is true, because, like, where else were you going to get, like, a tater slice and hot wings, chicken wings bar with salad as well as your pizza? I want a hot wings bar. No. Ugh. No, no, I don't. No, I, I don't. do. Well, what if I said I wanted... We the... don't have Sizzlers out here in New Mexico. It's fucked up, man. No, there's no I Sizzler. Want, I want a Sizzler. Does Ponderosa still exist? I, I need something Russo. like Sizzler. What what are the restaurants still like Sizzler? Can, well, can the I, AI, used to can be AI sweet plantation, sweet tomatoes, but that's gone now. They gone. They are, no, they failed in the pandemic. Oh, they definitely. Oh, you know what? There is uh, in town. There's a local chain called. It's there's one next to the um, the Planet Fitness. Not, that one's gone too. No, the first cafeterias. No, those are. The what about? They're gone. Really. Uh, yeah, the no, one that same was next to, in the same place as Jumbo, all the way at the end, that place. It, it's basically a soup plantation, but like off, you know, brand. No, the Dion's. The Dion's? Oh, no, the Wex. I think you're thinking of the it Wex. It has the same like soup bowls and they have the little pizza and stuff. Is that all gone? Okay. No, I think it, yeah, I Wex, think you're maybe. thinking of Dion's. Okay. Dion's or Wex, whatever. I think Dion's is still there. Wex is gone. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Those places aren't there anymore. Like well, those, like a buffet of chicken wings and potato wedges. It depends and, on like, the night. Depends on the night. No, that's true. It depends but, on like, what's good, is what they would tell you. But at Shakey's, you could get it all the time, which is the point. You could, like, I, I would take, I like when when I was like a, a high school teacher and I was like a coach. It was like one of the places we would take like like the debate team or like the running team or like you know the baseball team like it was always like oh, oh i guess we're big game afterwards let's go out for pizza and pe potato wedges and we'll like have some shakies that was los angeles but there were still a couple but like that was what this thread was lamenting that there's just fewer and fewer and fewer all the time and will we ever really be able to save our shakies s OS. Here we save have our shakies. Here we have save our shakies. Here we have 
Primo Pizza and Wings. And then we also have, um, it's like a local chain, but it's on TV and radio all the time. Always has been. And um, El Primo. <laughs> yeah, El Primo Pizza and Wings. And then there's the other one that's... Uh, Oh well, the CCs, but th there's that's just a region. Oh. But there's another one yeah. that's like the same kind of. Oh, it's killing me that I can't get it. But we have also Hungry Howies down here, which is basically the same, I think, kind of level of pizza in that world. God, of CC's pizza, fuck that shit was so good. You know the place you go with your soccer team. Yeah. No, really, like. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's like all you can eat pizza for like high school kids. And it's like a dollar, like, but not anymore. Now it's a dollar 50. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's basically it. I mean, I could play this clip. Let's see if I can even find it. Let's see. Oh, wow. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Close locations in part because some can no longer pay their rent. Hence, he said, wow. Abdul is just for just My about voice that city from construction workers, good. students to late night partiers. But the pandemic has thrown its business model, which relies on heavy foot traffic in office districts and tourist hubs, into an existential crisis. With inflation rising at its fastest pace in a generation, prices for just about <laughs> I don't like the, pizza boxes, the searing, macaroni, this flour and oil, prognosticating that's occurring at the moment. <laughs> it's killing me. Can't do it. So here's the thing. I'm going to read this instead. Uh, new rules force tie in Red Sox Braves. Major League Baseball's new pitch clock rules are already leaning into controversial moments. This is actually a very tiny little story. It's like three, four paragraphs about the game that I went to where the, um, and I found this right as I was going to throw it out, about the how the new pitch clock uh, ended a, uh, in a tie game. The first incident of that ever occurring. Mm. Um... Anyway, it was crazy. It recapped it. And then they actually talked about the game before that uh, was the actual first one, which is pretty funny, too. Um, let's see. Did you watch the last episode of MILFs, by the way? I started yeah, I thinking about the... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I don't really know what's going on with that show. In terms of... Well... I'm not like... like is it done? Is it done now? Because I feel like it was... If, if it's done now, then it feels very anticlimactic. Yes. I Here's what I think. I think they got to a certain point in production, and they said that if we're going to do more of this, we have to completely redo it from the beginning. I think they're going to get guys who are 25 and up or something like that, or older. I don't know, something. They There's a lot of changes they're going to have to make if they want to make another season. They can do it. I don't know. It really did feel like they had a different show planned with a few more episodes and then they like aborted it and took like plan B. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, Cause I thought that by so bringing up the, uh, I, I thought that like by bringing in the families, right? Like I thought that was like by itself gonna cause more attention. But I think like coming out of the like Love Island, um, like one of the things that i really liked about love island was that they tried to make it unpredictable yes, right so always. like um they would do an elimination and everyone would think like oh we're getting new people tomorrow but then they'd be like nope actually two new people are showing up immediately and you're not going to get a moment to think or whatever um or 
I don't know, like, they would be like, we're gonna introduce just two girls, or we're gonna have the single guy go on a date with all of these person's exes. You know, like, they would do all of this creative shit, so I kind of felt like, yeah, they were gonna go that direction with the Mills, and then it, yeah, it just, like, yeah, literally aborted, which feels feels very unsatisfying yeah i mean that's really there's nothing else really even to say about it except for the fact that they basically just like stopped the show like right in the middle or i wonder if like something happened i mean i thought about that too that was my initial thought but i feel like we would have heard some shit on like tmz right like we would have heard some shit about it but maybe we wouldn't have like maybe it's like some real like I don't know, they... Well, let's remember this. Harrison left in a very kind of interesting circumstance on his own, kind of without anything, and then the show ended. And Well, immediately following Harrison leaving, his mom was basically, like, kicked off. And then the show ended. So, I mean, they wrapped up as quickly as they possibly could. They shoved in every little, like thing they really tried to use see in the beginning of the show they weren't even really using like the love island style text to run the show mm-hmm. but towards the middle and the end it was like everything they were doing was like here's like a text and now you're doing like this thing um mm-hmm. i think they might have realized at some point that like there wasn't going to be like a communal added like people just weren't going to get along in the right way or something i, I don't mm-hmm. know did they because like not enough people really found like a connection i think right which is like i feel like part of what i have also found really interesting about love island which is like because even if they decided to stay single they were forced to pair up it created like an us against the world mentality for the competition and i never really kind of understood exactly what was at stake in the manner right like Love Island always dangled this idea that, oh, you're going to get this, like, cash prize at the end somehow. Or you're at least going to get a chance at this cash prize, right? So there was at least something always there. But, like, the Mills didn't have that exactly. So then their only motivation then was finding actual true love. That doesn't make good television. Yeah. Because it's, it's like, much like they say on Love Island. I don't know if they said it for you yet, but they will repeat. Uh, it's, it's, it's called Love Island. It's not called Friend Island. And, mm-hmm. you know, and you can see that when friend couples occur, you know, in ways to keep people on the show for another few days while maybe they figure something out or, you know, just mm-hmm. have some time to get things going again, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, the show always figures out a way to, like, get that couple knocked off real quick. It just seems mm-hmm. to always happen. The producers okay. seem to have figured out how to like deal with that, maybe. Um, not always, but most of the time. I don't know. Um, it's like- I don't know. I think maybe there were also some like kind of like heavy enough moments throughout the show. Like I, I don't. I I honestly don't know how so young and her son could. I know that, like, for the cameras, they're like, we healed the fact that she slept with her son's best friend or whatever. I don't know, man. That that That's, like, some shit that's, like, that's gotta have, like, four or five, like, Reddit updates. 
you know like i feel like there's more to those stories i feel like there's something about it that's so much more psychologically fraught that like love island just can't be because it's like love island is supposed to be a bunch of horny singles even if they start taking it all very seriously right and that's what keeps it fun and that's what you know the, the when they get into a mood or something they throw a challenge at them and everyone gets silly again and then it's all everyone's back to normal mm -hmm. that's that's how mm -hmm. they keep it going um but other shows that have tried to kind of get close to that formula i mean and you they the producers cannot claim that they weren't trying to do love island when they're sending people texts and have them go got it right like that's, in a that's, villa that's i'm the, in the yeah, villa the villa like that's that like they're they're doing that so if they're trying to force that if they want that at all they mm -hmm. need to set some things up differently either the cast differently mm -hmm. or something i don't know they can figure it out they run the show but i think that um probably an older um since we're still setting this up as males older male cast members and um i don't know the female cast members were fine really just need i don't know you need people who can like uh understand reality television I don't know. It's like mm -hmm. there's what are the youngest people they put on Survivor? 21? Are they like 20 Yeah, 20 I feel something? like it has to be at least 25 even because yeah. I think it's also just like something about like the poise or like the common sense to just be on TV. Yeah, just how to behave and stuff. Something about like um also something about like industry people right because like i feel like that was something that love island was kind of unapologetic about which is that some of them were like yeah for every person who is like i'm a banker at this like really nice fucking firm or whatever then you also had the like no i'm just an instagram influencer i'm totally just a model i'm totally just a dancer like that like so there's like some kind of a showbiz training. So they too are kind of aware of where the camera is, you know? I don't know if the Mills had that. And I don't know if the Suns really did too. Um, I think that would have taken away some of the authenticity, right? Like, I don't think that those other conversations of like so young and her son actually would have happened. Yeah. Um, so weird, the weird panty matching competition like that was weird let's just yeah. be kind of honest yeah. with ourselves oh, like yeah. there was a lot of that it was the massaging massage competition even and that maybe was. that was what they were realizing that they were that, that there was no way they could keep this going without like somehow getting a little bit more like crazier and crazier right like i don't know i think i do think there could have been different ways to like um make the show more interesting bring in older exes i don't even think they needed to be exes right it could have just been like a bunch of james bond looking motherfuckers coming in and being like no we're the same age as these ladies and we're gonna show them that actually men know how to treat a woman right and they need to tell the boys to step aside or something like even that would have been really interesting television you know so i don't know i feel like there must have been something else behind the scenes because i feel like from a writer's standpoint i feel like i could come up let alone the chat gpt could come up with i feel like we could have come up with like 10 scenarios to turn to turn the show around so i don't think it was just a writer's thing no way 
but you know yeah like josiah bartlett would come in and charm the daylights out of all of the mills they would fight over a dude like that legit right you wouldn't even need five of them you'd need like one of them two of them I, it would be like throwing chum in the water i think we need to take just a moment to use the ai to just create something of our own i think what we should do here is just create what we think is like the coolest best like what could be the better reality like reality dating show that doesn't exist already like what is the next great reality mm. dating television show that could be made, you know, in like a Love Island budget. Okay. Um, I'm going to say that it should be more of a, a biodome type of experiment. Yes. But with a very large group. I'm going to oh. say like a hundred. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. And I think this hundred, maybe even a thousand. I want to be ambitious with here. With network, we can get with network we can get that budget fox That's fox right. will do this Easy. fox did kid nation yeah. kid nation kid nation everyone go on everyone go on google no i'll just i'll have someone read about kid nation okay it's fine keep keep going Fo okay fox has so, already done this with kids okay so i'm i'm picturing something similar a very dorm like situation like apartment buildings but lots of communal opportunities right whatever that means so but kind of like big brother cameras everywhere but they have no act they're the ones living in this like amish paradise there's no movie houses there's no phones there's no television so like the only way you're actually gonna have to interact with someone is face to face like there's board games there's poker there's shit like that yeah. but like but but it's like communal things right so like that's the idea behind how they will start to find love it's actually going to be a microcosm of society except without all of this other bullshit they just find it naturally i guess they have to I like but this. like it's like large enough for it to happen naturally but small enough that we're controlling the population of who gets in right and i think like if, and I say that, right, because that is essentially what we're doing. I would like it to actually reflect the demographics of the United States. I think that's like, a perfect idea. And 100 people would be a great way to, to kind of percentile. Yeah. That. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. like, I mean, and, and that might be challenging and that might it even will be challenging, especially when you're drawing lines on certain people. And, and that's all weird things. But you have choices have to be made for this fractional kind of representation but i but i think the way to get around that is very similarly going to the influencer community to recruit these individuals it should be um folks in these tiktok communities let's say who are like already came i'm already representing already. the disabled community i'm representing um the um i don't know the 15 percent that's immigrant or something i don't know and I, I don't even know that that's the exact number right i'm just saying right um kind of a a, a general a, a best as possible representational background of um our demographics broken down by gender let's say um even maybe even by income i feel like some of that shit might be interesting because i feel like it, influencers are everywhere now 
I don't know. That might still be too crazy, but I'm sure there's a way. I'm sure there's a way to do this. Large, like, greater things have occurred. Okay. So I'm going to read what I've written in. We're making a reality TV show that is like a simulation of typical civilian life. There is 100 people and will be populated by popularly selected influencers, comma, no, period. All those selected will be um, demographically representative of the population of America as a whole. And it can tell us those things. It knows those things in its head. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So we <gasps> oh my God, we don't even have to do this research. Um, we just have to hope that their numbers are correct. We can even have it have it, us give, it can give us a roster, you know, <laughs> like who these people are and their details. Yeah. Of, of, yeah. Make me a, compile a list of influencers who fit this bill. A list of influencers. Oh my God. What I, is it going to actually compile a list of influencers? Okay, I mean, this is I'm going to put real. I'm going to put real in front of influencers just to make sure. Real, not like you know. Who knows? I don't know. Dude, I guess they can could also invent information. However, no, it can. However, I can provide a list of popular oh, influencers from various demographics from that were well known up to that point. Okay, so there we go. It's just letting us know it's not up to date. That's fine. We can live with that limitation. Okay, wow. here's our simulation. Okay, perfect. I'll take it. Selena Gomez. I feel like I would want to start with these individuals. It's gonna give us a hundred. David Dobrik. I know. I know him. Lily Singh. She's yeah. Okay. Tyler Oakley. Mm -hmm. James Charles. Oh yeah. Um, Zach King, filmmaker. Illusionist, YouTube personality, Nabella Noor, body positivity activist, beauty and lifestyle influence. So it gets our vibe we're putting out there on this. Uh huh. One. Jackie Ina. It's influ It's interpreted certain things here. Mm-hmm. Nikita Dragon, transgender beauty influencer and entrepreneur. Exactly. Here we go. Patricia Bright, fashion and beauty influencer. Bretman Rock. No, this is wait, like wait, no, literally. No, 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 wait. Are these exactly real people? Yeah, I think these are all real people. Oh yeah, because one Just of them. Just remember is that they, anyway. you know, th these folks are all gonna have brand names at this point, right? Like, I mean, one of them is the tribe. So interesting. Yeah, uh, the see? one that got kicked out. Oh, that's really funny. I don't know who they are, but like, you know, but yeah, no, this is. Oh, Jenna Marbles. Yeah, she's at the popularity level where she could probably mm -hmm. benefit from this at this point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. No, see, like, I feel so, like, so, but this is literally true. If, if like, if um, we said we're going to take these top 20 influencers and each of them get to be, like, they get to bring plus four. Ah, uh, yeah. Th that's right? and be perfect like, because you they're get introducing to... them. Yes, and they get to have their own little communities do their thing where they're like, mm -hmm, oh, mm -hmm. right, and so... Mm -hmm. That's right. So, yeah. so you take the, you take the top twenty influencers. You give them a plus four invitation. You bring whoever you want in your entourage, but it's got to be single, ready to mingle, right? Like, that's the concept. And then, so, so, so us as producers, let's say, could only take responsibility for selecting those twenty people. But that's easy. We would use things like metrics, reach. 
we would use things like um, number of followers across accounts and impressions and all of that bullshit that doesn't mean anything. But we could use that as a way of saying, these are the 20 we're going to pick. And now y'all have the responsibility of actually picking four people or whatever, right? And now let's go to the villa. Let's go to this fucking villa. And we're going to learn things. It'll be like Firefest, but actually real. And without any of this other bullshit is the point. So you're also challenging the influencers to stay the fuck off social media. It's part of the thing. And they show up for free because that's what they do. I mean, well, because they, like, 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 here's here's the deal. They get to create content the entire time. They just can't post it. They can create whatever content they want, and then at the end, they can release whatever the okay. fuck they want. So it's like a hype house, but for dating, it's like a hundred people. So it's more like a compound. It has to be like a compound of some sort. Let's say they all have or like an apartment building before people move into it or something. Yeah. Or a dorm, like a, a dorm. dorm. Yeah, that, dorm. Like a, it'll, it'll fit a hundred people yeah. easily, like like a large apartment building type of a thing. Perfect. Um, and and then maybe everyone gets paired up randomly. It's truly co-ed, like no names literally picked out of a hat. So because some of this idea is that folks are, this is across genders, gender identity, and sexual identity. Right, so you're gonna have folks who are gonna identify as bi, and so maybe they're they don't give a shit who their roommate's gonna be, but by having like paired up roommates from the beginning at random, um, they already get to know each other. See, this is brilliant. Yeah, we can sell this for a million, a, a billion dollars. Uh, we have Why a copy right now. I'm gonna see if maybe just checking if recording. Okay, it's recording. Yeah, no. Yeah. This okay. is this is the part where we put the Facebook notification that's like I do not give you permission to steal this. <laughs> that's a legal statement, you know. It that, is true. I can sue you and you can go to jail. <laughs> uh to make this reality dating show a success and keep viewers engaged, Consider incorporating the following ideas. Compatibility tests, using personality tests, love languages, and other... F yeah, see, you want this mm. stuff because that is what makes um, Are You The One really good on mm. TV. Oh, and then, oh, see, like, so this could be another one. People get to re... So, like, at some point, it'll also be, like, musical chairs. Mm. Oh, where, yeah. um, let's say... Out of the 100 dorms in one week, we are going to remove five spaces. So that means 10 people are getting eliminated and there is always an opportunity for re recoupling. Yeah. And one week it'll be like, you have to find your partner based on their Zodiac sign. Or you have to find your partner based on... I don't know, some other dumb influencer bullshit. Based on how much you sell your salsa for or whatever. Uh, that's how I'm going to make all my money. Uh, I'm going to become extremely famous for nothing else than my uh, uh, in immaculate salsa. Just I'm going to sell salsa in a bag. I'm going to have the audacity to offer salsa for sale. Not in a bottle. Bag only. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. 80, what was it? $85 hot sauce or something like that? Oh my god, I want... I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll, I'll say regrettable things. I'll stop. <laughs> I couldn't take it anymore, and I blocked it. People I couldn't got take mad it. about crackers. Oh my god! 
So GPT <laughs> took a very long time to say something that was kind of off, not exactly. Yeah, it did. Say. But um, let me ask it uh, uh, something here. Um, with all this in mind, how should we approach selling this concept to a network? When pitching your reality dating show concept to a network, it's important to present it in a clear, concise, and engaging manner. Here are some steps to help you effectively pitch your show to a network. Research. Before pitching to a network, research what networks are the best for your show. So let's think about that. E Entertainment. E we love you. They gotta have some cash though, and E's, E's running low in the in the cash department in terms of. I mean, TLC continues to be uh, one TLC, of my personal favorites. And they they go for a real like. Um, I I would love to be a member of the Discovery no. family and the Discovery Plus so, family. Actually, that's it. See that Discovery, you could put this on Discovery because of its broad appeal and it could be really about yeah but how long is also the term of the show how long are we looking at like a three-month term here is this no no nothing too long you see none of those influencers are going to be able to oh, uh take off. it that long right like it just we know that they'll go through like tech withdrawals but i do think we could argue that it should be like a three or four week vacation right because that's part of what it is right like no this is like an exclusive project um but you will be whisked to like a, like an like the love island villa like that is basically where we're intending to host this right so i think there's like something and i think there's a way to really do like uh um like you know again i think there's a way to do these contracts where they are still allowed to like talk about how they're selling makeup they just can't talk about the fact that they're at the show what? right even if all of that shit's going on you know is... i think i think that i think that's for the lawyers to figure out but I, i'm not too worried about that Let's see um, the only thing they have to not share is their process of dating on the show that's what they're not allowed to talk about anything that's like for the show like and maybe that's what we do is like, like okay everyone has like everyone can go into town right now for like an hour and you still can't talk about the show but you can be like having coffee yeah that's right and they'll all be working like, on a tip like like because yeah, obviously they need see. to keep their presence and having the mysterious nature of while it's being filmed is also going to build they're gonna be like what is this why are there all these influencers yeah. and there are people around them i can't at this, talk about Spain? it but like here's a post of like the view <laughs> Like they could do that, right? Like even that would be tantalizing to a follower, right? So I, I, I yeah, again, I think the lawyers and the marketing can figure that out, but no, we're going to make millions. <laughs> we will, we could. And then at some point we get all the influencer milfs involved. Exactly. And there's plenty of all the, <gasps> oh all my the God, the influencers. We find, yeah, we find influencers who also have influencer parents. And then once the influencer children go into the villa, we approach the influencer parents and go, okay, you're influencer, so you know the influencer lifestyle. But now you have an opportunity to go date young influencers. Are you in? And then, like, influencer parents all show up on the influencer island. 
and then but see that's the thing they like get introduced no. maybe slowly or something no, like maybe no, no, they no. replace the youngsters who leave different dorm i don't know go there, on there's something <laughs> way better here there's okay go on we're thinking all this manpower all this attention all this drama right but what if what if the twist is there's a main character and everyone else is playing along to the Truman Show style main character and trying to have them have a magical special journey through reality television dating and they have no idea that they're getting like the Cinderella story, but it's gonna have its ups and downs and we're gonna watch the tragedy and there are all the other influencers and people in there know, except for like our main character. <gasps> I don't know, that sounds dangerous. Yeah, right. actually no, that could cause problems. No, it sounds, it sounds, yeah, no, I mean. Well, we've seen the Truman Show. But that I do think well. there's, no, I mean, I'm telling you, right? But I do think there's ways to do, because I feel like that's what happened on the MILF show. There were revelations that came out, but like you have yeah. to like, first a prior relationship somehow, right? So like, um, maybe it's like for every in maybe there's like an influencer villain maybe there's like an influencer hater for for like every yin there's a yang so for every 20 hate okay there it is for, for every 20 influencers we take their biggest hater and then their biggest hater they're allowed to bring four people and so then 100 people and 200 people they all get together but nobody knows who's who maybe maybe that's the premise from the beginning is that there's influencers and they're haters and all of them get together because they're all influencer dipshits anyway even all of the like they're just driving engagement clicks you know so like but they're all selling the same makeup brands so like if they don't know who's who and who's a stan of who then they'll just be like oh my god i love your eyebrows <laughs> Uh, they can all... The scoring is up on a big board they can all see, and they are competing for seconds of screen time in post. Oh, no. Of course. No, of course it's so brilliant. Oh my god, here's the other one. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. There's a leaderboard. See, the thing is, is that it's not that so they're not allowed to post and the reason they're not allowed to post mm -hmm. because they are in a big brother scenario we are literally watching them all the time <sighs> their feeds have become our feeds that's the contract yeah. we will post for them but their feeds are our feeds and that's really juicy but they don't get to control it. like it'll be like the producers just showing a clip or something like again the lawyers can figure that out but the idea is, but, yeah. is that their presence is exclusively here and we the audience get to rank these people in real time leaderboards in real time like it's fucking sports betting yes and because Paperwork. it's like sports betting we'll be able to pull from that demographic john taffer is so proud of us and right pull now. down all that cash when people all that bet cash. on who will be the number one influencer this will be like who shot mr burns you do three four seasons of this and then you get like michael strahan level celebrities in there seriously that's all it takes. Michael Strahan level celebrities. He like goes anywhere from between an A to a C depending on the day. And that's all you need. Okay. And so then here's the true end game. By season five, we're attracting celebs. Peter Thiel. 
Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and then, oh, oh, I'm sorry, my producer is telling me that I should stop talking at this point. <laughs> but the idea is that we get all of those people on a singular island in uh -huh. a singular location all at once, and then we film the crazy antics that they get up to on this island. That'll be the final season of the That's show. right. That's correct. <laughs> For reasons uh, that we will all figure out in the future. Because we could never top that. No. Um, and I'm, I'm making Where do sure we go that from AI there? is figuring out the rest, filling in all the holes for us right now. Everyone at home. Yeah, no, everything from there out. is downhill and we just, you know, we're going to go out like Seinfeld, not like The Simpsons. Something like that sounds right. Well, absolutely. In this scenario, <laughs> you can add a competitive twist to reality dating show by adding the influencers' biggest haters and allowing them to invite others, creating a dynamic and engaging environment. Here's some ideas to incorporate that aspect in the show. Um, rival teams, collaborative challenges. Hater introduction is number one. <laughs> At the beginning of the show, introduce the haters alongside the influencers. This will immediately create tension. Kathy, are we the haters in our own show? No, because I'm like... Oh, they have to have like their particular haters. That's right. So they get four people they like and then four haters and then there are haters have to bring people no so so we okay. pick we pick the main influencer influencer a okay let's say but then we find who influencer a's biggest hater is right and okay. then we take that hater uh -huh. and each of those individuals is allowed to invite four people of their own okay right so from their following whatever that is okay. so, so it's a total let's say drill brings four of his followers and digimon otis brings four of his followers okay. if drill we have to represent oh, the oh. online community in this i mean again i'm i'm picture because like i want these influencers to be kind of from all over the place i'm truly picturing this as also like a do you remember beauty and the geek yes. do you remember that dating show yes so they have like the so for our listeners at home who may not know about Beauty and the Geek, Beauty and the Geek was a dating show where you had like hot model types. Um think like, yeah, like MTV model, singer dancers, American Idol wannabes, all of that, that right? And then you would have dudes who were like literally an A V club. They're like scrawny, right? <laughs> Not talking working shit. The website. Right? People but, working for the website. They... People working for the website. They have a, like now they probably have a variety of Funkos, right? But like that's who they were. And then like that was who they would set up on these dates. They would set up like this beauty queen with this like total geek nerd. And very interestingly on this show, there were times when she would like they would you know the whole point of the show is that they had open minds about it right it wasn't just like they were haters or whatever you know but it was still like yeah okay i'll try whatever you know and you would eventually see these like episodes where they were like really kind of sweet where you know the like the hot bod model is like oh like actually he's like really sweet and he was like such a gentleman and He's just like really appreciative that he's gonna get some pussy, you know, like whatever. I'm not saying that's what Drill and Digimon Otis are gonna bring to the show. I'm just saying that is what I'm picturing. <laughs> With keeping in mind, we want to keep the sentimentality of Beauty and the Geek, and we're inviting 
at least three influencers such as Drill. <laughs> such as Twitter's, that's one of your very specific, Twitter's own Drill. I mean, no, because using the at sign, it'll know. Um, what would be a good elevator pitch for hmm. the show? Hmm. It came up with a name. Hmm. It came up with Love Bites, a digital love yeah, connection. Love Bites is a groundbreaking reality dating show that brings together 100 of America's most popular influencers and their most vocal haters, including the enigmatic Twitter personality Drill, for an unforgettable journey to find love and understanding. Set in a luxurious Spanish villa, this show combines the heartfelt sentimentality of beauty and the geek. I love that it just repeated the word package. With exciting challenges, viewer interaction, and a competitive leaderboard system, participants will vie for precious seconds of screen time in the final edit while working through their differences, forming unexpected connections, and ultimately realizing that love can be found in the most surprising places. Sure Get ready for a digital love connection like no other. Okay, I just want to ask it one thing. No, I want to see Brooklyn Dad Defiant with like, uh, I mean, I, I guess, is, is he married? He has complete divorced dad energy. But... Give us an example of some of the male contestants based on what we described. Sorry, my fingernails are too long. Um, here are some examples of potential male contestants for Love Bites based on the show concept and influencers mentioned earlier. John, the fitness guru. <laughs> wait, no. hold on. Oh, well, but yeah, this right? Is, we no, need no, someone no, who's no, really stop. into bulking. Uh, let me go back. Give us an example uh, of real... I have to say that again. Give us an example of some of the male contestants based on what I described. All of them should be real. <laughs> there we go. Well, I think John the fitness guru is real, no? Oh, wait, no, seriously? Mike the tech I wins? don't know. <laughs> it sounds like it might be real. Brett Man Rock, a beauty and fashion influencer known for his bold makeup looks and hilarious personality. His haters might criticize him for being over the top or promoting materialism. <laughs> oh no, Casey mm. Neistat, he's real. A filmmaker and YouTube personality who uh, creates content about his daily life, travels, and adventures. Casey's haters might take issue with his lifestyle, privilege, or the way he presents himself online. All of those things I do. I was a big fan of his. Uh, I should stay. I appreciate his deal. <laughs> but uh, he has a, an electric skateboard company, which I, I, I think that he promotes um, kind of responsibly that's my drill that's my pseudonym role. sorry yeah. yeah number three drill pseudonym the enigmatic <laughs> twitter personality known for his bizarre and often satirical tweets oh as God. an anonymous figure it would be interesting to see how drill and his haters would interact in a reality setting potentially exploring the person behind the persona oh, oh wow 
cutting deep there. <laughs> Todrick Hall, Peter McKinnon. I don't know these guys, but let me ask you this. Tell me everything you know about Drill. Drill is an anonymous Twitter user and internet personality. Became famous for his bizarre satirical and surreal tweets. His Twitter Doctor Ill. Drill. <laughs> it took a little second for it to think about that. It was created in September 2008. Drill's tweets often touch on various aspects of internet culture, politics, and everyday life. Yeah, delivered in a unique and absurd style that has resonated with a large audience. While the true identity of Drill remains a mystery, unless you work at the Cartoon Network. His influence on internet culture and humor is significant. Drill's tweets have inspired numerous memes, and his distinctive writing style has been mimicked and parodied by many. In fact, Drill has been considered... Wow, it knows a lot. It's right. It's on its third paragraph. Of weird Twitter, a loose subculture and platform... Oh, God, Kathy knows about us. A loose subculture on the platform characterized by absurd humor, unconventional writing styles, and satirical takes on various topics. In November... Fourth paragraph. 2017, <laughs> Drill published a book called... Drill Official, Mr. 10 Years Anniversary Collection, which features I should say I'm Mr. 15 Years now I just hit my 15th anniversary, no one gave me a book, Jesus. but wow. which uh, features a curated selection of his tweets from the past decade uh, despite his online fame Drill has managed to maintain his anonymity and his real identity remains unknown to the public <clears throat> paragraph uh, okay. the fifth Jesus well, given his mysterious persona and unique sense of humor, Drill could be also be an intriguing element to reality dating show like Love Bites, especially when it comes to interactions. Okay, how about this? Let's. I think we should find an agent. We should pitch this for realsies. I think yeah, we should. No. I, I think we can monetize this. I, I know we always talk about how. I need a job, Kathy. I need a real life idea. and a real job, and I can have like a place I go to, and then we work on this thing, and then I have like my dog with me, and I'm somewhere else other than where I am right now, and that's key. I can live wherever. I just need to be somewhere other than physically sitting like in front of this laptop. That's all. Well, but hey, I know we can get there. I have an absolute faith in us that one day. I don't know how to write pitches, but but I'm happy to. I I do this for the love of the game. I would do anything to see Hater Island. (laughs) Hater Island. Well, yeah. Okay. Uh, Give us give us ten names and help us pick the best ones for the. Here are 10 names of real life. No, 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 no. No, but see, this is what I mean. Like, I want some of our cast as haters to also be, like, that one cashier at the grocery store. Or, like, like not influencers. <laughs> I'm trying to take and 10 names work on show. That. Okay, Brian, well, I have, I have big news. Yes. It's been snowing here, but it's a beautiful day. That's good. So I, I think it you is. enjoy it. No, I, th- I think so. So I want to come up with what's a good song that might be like, maybe not the actual theme of Hater Island, but is the like embodiment of what we're trying to accomplish here. And I'm kind of thinking it should be that one song that goes like, everybody dance now. Bonk. because like what i'm really thinking though is that like i want this not to be like 
I don't want to emphasis, like, I don't really want the emphasis to be on the haters. I want this to be like a coming together of the haters and the influencers. Like that by coming out from behind the screen, they're actually real people, right? So like, I want it to have like a party vibe for Hater Island. Because like, maybe like the real haters are the friends we made along the way. Hmm. I'm thinking right now, like, what can it be? What could it be? Oh, oh. Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? That'll be it. That'll be it. I'm going to go ahead and click it right now. Luckily, I have these abilities. And we're not going to play the Smash Mouth version, although we could. No. We're going to play this one, the one you know. Kathy, it's been a wonderful time. I'm glad that we Brian, came to the same conclusion. Delightful Friday. I'm glad that we came to the same conclusion about um, uh, that show that was called MILF Manor. And I kept calling MILF Island. But uh, I can't imagine that they'll make another season of it unless they make some big changes to it. <laughs> I would also <laughs> say, though, that there is a show that they had put a little bumper on there in the back that they want us to watch. They want us to keep watching that time slot. Seeking brother, what was it? Seeking brother. Seeking brother husband. Husband. Seeking brother husband. Set you DVR. This is like a sister wife. Yes. But a brother husband. Um, I'm really interested in that. That seems interesting to me. I can't wait for the like, um, also the like really weird like Oakland polycule reality show. Oh, we can make that one too. Yeah, no, that one's on the way, I'm sure. That one's in the pipe. Yeah, I'm surprised that one's not already, like, real. honestly, I'm surprised that one doesn't already exist. It sounds like something that would already be, like, on out two years ago, maybe. Oh, yeah, it would be something, like, I would make a pun on the name Burning Man. It feels like something they would come up with in the TLC, like, coming up with new reality show ideas. I'm going to click this. Oh, we do a reality show podcast, and you're supposed to tell your friends about it. Hey, this one was only two hours, and that's a normal, listenable amount of length of podcast. Also, make sure that we have more time for the next episode. I actually ran up against like a time barrier once. It's crazy. I almost had to pay two extra dollars for that month, but I guess it's not that big of a deal. Hey, did you know that Kellogg's is changing their name to Kellanova? They're splitting their company into three pieces so that we don't know that they're one big megaphone. Oh, now they're going to gentrify cornflakes. Yeah, exactly. We can't put cornflakes on fried chicken. Here's a run on the Silicon Valley Bank. Life is so expensive, people are nostalgic for the prices of 2021. Wow, I wish I had the bills from last year. Here's one about um, how when in New York City, you should go to five different hot pot restaurants in one day. That seems practical. I think I could only have like maybe one 
two hot pots in a day pop. Sounds like a lot of broth. Sounds like you'd just be like peeing a lot. Really. It's, it's like the drink broth challenge <laughs> that you call the broth <laughs> and the giant water bottle. Almost there. 3 p.m. I'm doing the drink broth challenge. Here's one that's uh, the Atlantic. It's about we are already in the metaverse. It basically claims that through listening to podcasts and watching television shows, we already exist in the metaverse without virtual reality, augmented reality through screens over our eyes, and at all times, as already has us in the metaverse. Interesting to think about. I think we've already covered that. Podcasts are virtual reality. Slice of life. Minacha in real time. You may not know this right now, yes. but Brian and I are both flying through space like we're in Tron. It's true. Um, <laughs> it's true. Uh, uh, we're coming to you from the future. Oh, by the way, Bob Odenkirk has a new show coming out. Uh, Lucky Hank is going to be on AMC. He's already been making it for a little while. Sounds like it's going to stick around. It's supposed to be based on a... It's an adaptation of a novel called Straight Man. However, it is mostly a character adaptation. Which will take his character in new directions. It's not like a big thing. It's sort of just about uh, family. But we'll see. Well, then I would like to take this opportunity at the end of our show to thank Bob Odenkirk, mm-hmm. Martin Sheen, The Mills, um, and the band War for reminding us of the greatest life lesson. Why can't we be friends? Yes. Why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? Brian, it's a beautiful Friday. It is a beautiful Friday, and I encourage you to go enjoy it. Let's go fuck around. Meanwhile, I'm just going to go... Let's go recruit Peter Thiel and Elon Musk for our show. I'm just going to go ahead and click this thing first. I should remind everyone, by the way, that Biodome 1 or 2 or whatever the one that, you know, the one from before... That was Title, run by the final stand. Hold on, scene. The, the Poly Barlow Shore movie. Uh, bio, you know, uh, the real one, the real one that they had. Oh, the real one, not the Poly Shore movie. That was run by none other than um, the guy who ran Trump's campaign originally. Uh, the guy with the crazy skin and stuff looks weird and gets fired from everything after about working there for two months. Bannon, Steve Bannon. He ran the <gasps> original bio. Really? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Bannon was the biodome guy. It was his project. He like ran the budget low, and that's kind of why it went sideways because they didn't know, get the right science right about the oxygen generation and stuff. Yeah, it's his fault. Wow. Yeah, there's what, a whole that... documentary about it. Really, I'm, I'm looking for 80 it. minutes long. I'm sure you can download it. But here we go. I'm gonna go ahead and play us out. The voice okay. of uh, President Josiah Barlett and Kathy. You can leave at any time. Title: if, whenever you want. The Final Stand. Yeah. Scene: The Oval Office, 2077. <laughs> President Josiah Bartlett, now aged and visibly frail, stands before a camera broadcasting to the entire nation. The room is dimly lit with the sound of distant chaos outside the White House. The nation is under attack from an alien invasion, and President Bartlett is about to address the citizens in his final stand. President Josiah Bartlett, Martin Sheen. My fellow Americans, as I stand before you today, in my eighth term as your president, Our world faces an unprecedented threat. Our very existence is being challenged by a force beyond our comprehension. An alien invasion, unlike anything we have ever encountered, seeks to destroy our way of life, our planet, and our future. The background music is dramatic and somber. President Bartlett, 
In the face of such adversity, it is only natural to feel fear, to question our ability to withstand this assault on our civilization. But I stand before you, not as a symbol of despair, but as a testament to the indomitable spirit of humanity. The music transitions to a more hopeful tone. President Bartlett, throughout our history, we have faced countless challenges, both from within and beyond our borders. Yet we have always emerged stronger, more united, and more resilient. It is this strength, this unity, that has defined our nation and propelled us to greatness. Music swells. President Bartlett, now more than ever, we must come together as one people, one planet, to defend our home against this otherworldly menace. It is our duty to future generations, to our children and our children's children, to stand firm, to fight for our very survival, and to protect the values and ideals that have guided us since the dawn of our civilization. The music That's crescendos. President Bartlett, I have faith in our people, Following in our capacity to adapt, to innovate, and to overcome even the most insurmountable odds. We will not go quietly into the night. We will not surrender without a fight. We will stand yes, together, united in our purpose, and we will show these invaders that we are not to be underestimated, that we will not be conquered. Music reaches its peak, then softens. President Bartlett, as your president, I vow to you that I will do everything in my power to lead us through this dark hour. I ask each and every one of you to join me, to lend your strength, your courage, and your determination to this battle. For it is not just our planet that we fight for, but our very essence as human beings, as children of the earth. The music fades, leaving only the sound of President Bartlett's voice. President Bartlett, may God bless you all, and may God bless the United States of America. The camera fades to black as President Josiah Bartlett takes a deep breath, his expression resolute and determined. End of episode. <laughs> End of episode. End of the mental episode we're both living through right now. Yeah, no. Uh, I know that our listeners couldn't hear us, but we were saluting yes. at the very end. We were saluting okay. the troops and President Josiah Bartlett in his eighth Still term my president. Of service. I think that the, the Seven eleventh by then, but it's okay. Um, Brian, dear Kathy, listener. Oh, thank you for doing the show with me. Of course, it's always a joy. Bye. Bye.
A Kid Nation was an American reality television series that aired on CBS in 2007. The show featured 40 children aged 8 to 15 tasked with creating a functioning society in an abandoned New Mexico town called Bonanza City. The children were divided into four districts, each led by a council of older kids. They had to work together to establish a functioning community, including cooking, cleaning, and running businesses. Over the course of the 40-day experiment, the children faced various challenges to earn rewards for their community. At the time of its release, Kid Nation faced considerable controversy. Critics and viewers alike questioned the ethics of putting young children in such an environment without direct adult supervision. There were concerns over child labor laws and the potential psychological impact on the participants. Despite these controversies, the show had a dedicated fan base that appreciated its unique concept and the genuine interactions between the children. Utopia, on the other hand, was a reality television show that aired on Fox in 2014. The premise of the show involved 15 participants, known as pioneers, attempting to create a perfect society from scratch in a remote location in Southern California. The participants were given limited resources and had to work together to establish laws, social norms, and means of sustaining their community. The show was intended to run for a full year, with participants being voted out and replaced periodically. Utopia faced its own set of challenges and criticisms, although it did not have the same ethical concerns as Kid Nation due to the adult participants, it still received backlash for its concept. Many viewers found the show's premise to be unoriginal, as it resembled other reality shows like Survivor and Big Brother. Additionally, the show struggled with low ratings and a lack of viewer engagement. Ultimately, Utopia was canceled after only two months on air. Comparatively, both shows attempted to explore the idea of creating a new society from scratch. Kid Nation offered a unique and controversial twist by using children as participants, while Utopia focused on adult pioneers. Although both shows faced criticism for their respective concepts, Kid Nation arguably had a more significant cultural impact due to its ethical concerns and the debate it sparked around child exploitation in reality television. Utopia's swift cancellation demonstrated that the show failed to capture the interest of viewers in the same way. Imagine this response narrated by an AI voice of Gillian Anderson performing as Dana Scully for a four-minute audio experience. Here are 10 potential names for the reality dating show Love Bites, based on the concept of influencers and their haters competing for love and screen time. Heart Meets Hater, Love Under Fire, Influencer Island, Digital Love Match, Swipe Right for Unity, Frenemies to Lovers, Love in the Limelight, Romance Revamp, Haters Heartthrob, Opposites Attract Online. To choose the best name for the show, consider the following factors target audience. Think about which name would best appeal to your target demographic and accurately represent the show's concept. Memorability. Choose a name that is easy to remember and stands out among other reality dating shows. Emotional connection. Pick a name that evokes an emotional response such as excitement or curiosity.
Marketability. Consider how well the name lends itself to marketing materials such as posters, commercials, and social media campaigns. Based on these factors, a few standout names from the list are Influencer Island. This name has a catchy alliteration and implies a competitive atmosphere which aligns with the show's concept. Frenemies to Lovers. This title highlights the unique aspect of the show, where influencers and haters come together to potentially form romantic connections. Love in the Limelight. This name captures the essence of the show, which combines romance and competition in the public eye. Ultimately, the best name for the show will depend on your preferences and how well it aligns with the overall vision and tone you want to convey. Drill is an anonymous Twitter user and internet personality who became famous for his bizarre, satirical and often surreal tweets. His Twitter account at Drill was created in September 2008. Drill's tweets often touch on various aspects of internet culture, politics and everyday life, delivered in a unique and absurd style that has resonated with a large audience. While the true identity of Drill remains a mystery, his influence on internet culture and humour is significant. Drill's tweets have inspired numerous memes, and his distinctive writing style has been mimicked and parodied by many. In fact, Drill has been considered one of the pioneers of Weird Twitter, a loose subculture on the platform characterised by absurdist humour, unconventional writing styles and satirical takes on various topics. In November 2017, Drill published a book titled Drill Official Mr. Ten Years Anniversary Collection, which features a curated selection of his tweets from the past decade. Despite his online fame, Drill has managed to maintain his anonymity and his real identity remains unknown to the public. Given his mysterious persona and unique sense of humour, Drill could add an intriguing element to a reality dating show like Love Bites, especially when it comes to interactions with haters and other influencers. subculture within the Twitter platform that features absurdist humour, unconventional writing styles and satirical takes on various topics. The term Weird Twitter is not an official label, but rather a descriptor used by users to identify and discuss this particular corner of the platform. 
Although it's hard to pin down a specific definition or criteria, weird Twitter can be characterised by several key elements. Absurdist humour. Weird Twitter often employs nonsensical or surreal humour that pushes the boundaries of conventional comedy. Tweets might be intentionally confusing, absurd or feature unexpected twists. Unconventional writing styles. Many weird Twitter users adopt a unique writing style utilising unconventional punctuation, capitalisation and grammar. These stylistic choices often contribute to the humour and distinctiveness of their tweets. Satire and social commentary. Weird Twitter frequently uses humour to comment on social issues, politics and internet culture. The satire can range from light-hearted to biting, but it is often layered beneath a veneer of absurdity. In-jokes and meme culture. Weird Twitter users often create and share in-jokes, memes and references that might be obscure or unintelligible to those unfamiliar with the subculture. These in-jokes can serve to create a sense of community and shared understanding among users. Anonymity and personas. Many weird Twitter users maintain a degree of anonymity, using pseudonyms or avatars rather than their real names or images. This anonymity allows users to experiment with different personas and styles of humour without facing the same level of scrutiny they might encounter when using their real identities. Some notable figures associated with weird Twitter include Drill, who has been mentioned earlier, as well as users like at Fart, John Henry, at Leon, Leon Chan, and at underscore Florida Man, a parody account highlighting bizarre news stories from Florida. While Weird Twitter is not a cohesive group or movement, it represents a distinct approach to humour and communication within the broader Twitter platform.
year 2077, the world has transformed into a landscape reminiscent of the cyberpunk genre. Dark, neon-lit streets are filled with people, both real and virtual, navigating the complexities of their lives. The hypnotic voice of Adam Curtis, the acclaimed documentary filmmaker, narrates this strange new world. Adam Curtis voiceover. As we step into the year 2077, the promises of the past have given way to a world that exists at the intersection of reality and virtuality. Technology has become an inextricable part of our lives, blurring the lines between man and machine, creating a society that is both magnificent and terrifying. The rise of megacorporations has reached its zenith, and these towering entities wield unfathomable power over the lives of millions. Governments have become puppets to the whims of these organisations, and wealth inequality has reached staggering levels. In this dystopian landscape, the struggles of the many are eclipsed by the opulence of the few. The omnipresence of technology has given birth to a new form of connectivity, a digital nervous system that envelops the globe. In this digital world, people's identities, memories and experiences are shared, sold and stolen, and privacy is a luxury few can afford. Inevitably, as our dependence on technology grows, so too does the risk of cybercrime. Hackers have evolved from mere nuisances to formidable agents of chaos, infiltrating systems and causing destruction on a scale once reserved for the gods. This digital battleground has become the new theatre of war, where powerful forces vie for control over the hearts, minds and wallets of the world's population. The relentless march of technology has also brought about remarkable advancements in biotechnology and cybernetics. Prosthetic limbs and artificial organs have become commonplace, but so too has the fear of losing one's humanity. The question of what it means to be human has never been more pertinent or complex. Amidst this turmoil, the allure of the virtual world has grown. The line between the real and the virtual has eroded, and for many, the simulated realities offer solace from the harsh truths of the physical world. As the masses escape into these digital realms, they unwittingly become prisoners of their own desires. And yet, amidst the darkness and despair, there is a flicker of hope. In the shadows, a resistance forms, an alliance of individuals who refuse to succumb to the oppression of the megacorporations. They fight to reclaim their humanity and to forge a new world in the ashes of the old. The year 2077 is a testament to the resilience of the human spirit, but it is also a warning. As we hurtle into an uncertain future, we must grapple with the consequences of our insatiable appetite for progress and ask ourselves, what kind of world do we want to create? In the year 2177,
In the year 2177, humanity has ventured further into the depths of the cosmos, grappling with the consequences of the previous century's technological triumphs and failures. As the 22nd century unfolds, humanity stands on the precipice of a new era, shaped by the pursuit of progress and the echoes of its own past. The remnants of the cyberpunk age have given way to a society that is at once remarkable and unsettling, revealing the dual nature of our capacity for both destruction and rebirth. The megacorporations that once held sway over the earth have crumbled, their power diminished by a collective awakening. In their stead, a global network of decentralized, self-governing communities has emerged. These entities work in harmony, pooling their resources and knowledge to solve the pressing challenges of their time. Technology has continued to advance at a breakneck pace, and humanity's mastery over the atom, the gene, and the quantum has brought about a new age of wonder. Energy has become abundant and clean, and the specter of climate change has been banished to the annals of history. The cybernetic and biotechnological advancements of the previous century have reached their apotheosis, with the boundaries between man and machine becoming almost indistinguishable. Nanotechnology and genetic engineering have granted us control over our bodies and the world around us in ways once thought impossible. Disease and aging are no longer inescapable realities, but rather challenges to be overcome. As humanity's reach extends to the stars, our understanding of the universe has grown, leading to the discovery of other life forms and the establishment of interstellar relationships. Through diplomacy and cooperation, we have forged a galactic community bound by shared curiosity and the desire for mutual understanding. Yet for all its splendor, this brave new world is not without its shadows. The same technologies that have brought us prosperity have also given rise to new and terrifying weapons, capable of laying waste to entire worlds. The struggle for resources and territory persists, as old rivalries are rekindled among the stars. The allure of virtual worlds remains strong, with countless individuals losing themselves in the expanse of digital realms. As the line between reality and simulation blurs, the question of what it means to be human grows ever more complex and poignant. As the year 2177 dawns, humanity finds itself at a crossroads. The lessons of the past serve as guideposts, reminding us of the perils of unchecked ambition and the importance of empathy and cooperation. As we continue our odyssey into the unknown, we must confront the challenges that lie ahead with wisdom and compassion, striving to build a future that is not only technologically advanced, but also morally enlightened. The choices we make today will shape the course of history for generations to come, and it is our responsibility to ensure that our legacy is one of hope, unity, and progress.
In the year 2277, humanity has transcended the confines of its home planet, spreading its influence throughout the cosmos. The distinguished voice of Martin Sheen narrates the tale of a civilization grappling with the consequences of its past and the infinite possibilities of its future. Martin Sheen voiceover. As we venture into the 23rd century, humanity finds itself on the cusp of a new age. A vast interstellar civilization has emerged, built upon the foundations of cooperation, exploration, and mutual respect. The challenges of the past have given way to a spirit of unity, as people from all corners of the galaxy work together to forge a brighter future. In this remarkable era, technology has become the ultimate expression of our potential. The limitations of the physical world have been overcome through ingenious innovation, enabling us to harness the power of the stars and reshape the very fabric of reality. The line between the organic and the artificial has all but vanished as advanced cybernetics and genetic engineering redefine what it means to be human. The legacy of Earth's environmental struggles has spurred us to develop sustainable technologies, enabling our burgeoning civilization to thrive without causing harm to the planets we now call home. As we journey among the stars, we are ever mindful of our responsibility to preserve and protect the diverse ecosystems we encounter. In our search for knowledge, we have established contact with other intelligent species, creating a tapestry of cultures and ideas that enrich our collective experience. The wisdom of these encounters has fostered a renaissance in art, philosophy, and science, inspiring us to reach even greater heights. But even in this time of unprecedented progress, we are not without our challenges. The vast expanse of the galaxy has given rise to new forms of conflict, as factions vie for control over the precious resources that fuel our endeavors. Diplomacy and compromise are often tested as we strive to maintain peace among the stars. The allure of virtual realities persists, tempting many to retreat into the solace of digital worlds. As the boundaries between the real and the virtual grow ever more tenuous, we must confront the existential questions that such technologies raise. It is in the crucible of these debates that we continue to refine our understanding of what it means to be truly alive. As we stand at the dawn of the year 2277, we are reminded of the trials and triumphs that have shaped our journey thus far. The lessons of our past serve as both a warning and an inspiration, driving us to create a future that honors the sacrifices of those who came before. We face the vast, uncharted expanse of the cosmos with humility and determination, united in our quest to build a better tomorrow, not just for ourselves, but for all the inhabitants of our shared universe. Masatoshi Ito is a Japanese businessman who played a pivotal role in the global success of the 7-Eleven convenience store chain. Born on April 23, 1924, in Tokyo, Japan, Ito is the founder of 7-I Holdings Company, Limited, the parent company of 7-Eleven, Inc. 
Ito's journey with 7-Eleven began in the 1960s when he visited the United States and encountered the Southland Corporation's convenience store chain, which operated under the 7-Eleven brand. Impressed by the business model and recognizing the potential for such stores in Japan, Ito decided to introduce the concept in his home country. In 1973, Ito opened the first 7-Eleven store in Tokyo, Japan, through a joint venture between his family's retail company, Ito Yokado, and the Southland Corporation. The store was an instant success, and the company quickly expanded its operations across Japan. Ito focused on adapting the 7-Eleven model to cater to Japanese consumers' preferences, tailoring the product selection and services to meet local needs. Under Ito's leadership, the Japanese 7-Eleven stores implemented several innovative practices, such as point-of-sale systems, which streamlined inventory management, and the introduction of fresh food items, which differentiated the brand from its competitors. These innovations were later adopted by 7-Eleven stores worldwide. In the 1990s, the Southland Corporation faced financial difficulties, and Ito Yokado, along with its subsidiary 7-Eleven Japan, acquired a majority stake in the company in 1991. Masatoshi Ito's vision and guidance helped revitalize the 7-Eleven brand, and the company expanded globally, becoming the largest convenience store chain in the world. In 2005, Ito Yokado and 7-Eleven Japan formed 7&I Holdings Company, Limited, consolidating their retail businesses under one corporate entity. Masatoshi Ito served as the chairman of 7&I Holdings until his retirement in 2012. Ito's leadership and innovative approach to the retail industry have left a lasting impact on the global convenience store market. Today, 7-Eleven operates more than 70,000 stores in over 17 countries with a strong presence in Asia, North America, and Europe, and it continues to grow as a leading retail brand. In the year 2277, the 7-Eleven brand has evolved considerably from its humble beginnings as a convenience store chain on Earth. 
As humanity expanded its reach throughout the cosmos, 7-Eleven adapted to the changing landscape of commerce and the needs of the interstellar population. 7-Eleven now operates a vast network of convenience stations scattered across various planets, moons, and space stations throughout the galaxy. These outposts offer a wide range of products and services catering to the diverse inhabitants of the interstellar community. In addition to providing basic necessities, 7-Eleven has become a hub for interplanetary travelers, offering fueling stations for spacecraft, lodging facilities, and communication services to help individuals stay connected with friends and family across the cosmos. The company's innovative spirit, which was a hallmark of its success in the 20th and 21st centuries, continues to drive its growth and adaptation to new environments. 7-Eleven leverages cutting-edge technologies such as advanced robotics, artificial intelligence, and teleportation to streamline its operations and enhance customer experiences. The brand has also embraced sustainability, employing advanced energy systems and waste management techniques to minimize its ecological footprint on the planets it serves. 7. Eleven's commitment to adapting its product offerings to local cultures and preferences has been a key factor in its success throughout the galaxy. The company collaborates closely with the various species and civilizations it encounters, ensuring that its stores cater to the unique dietary, cultural, and environmental needs of each community. As a testament to its enduring appeal, 7-Eleven remains a symbol of comfort and familiarity for travelers in the year 2277. The company's ability to anticipate and adapt to the ever-changing needs of an interstellar society has allowed it to maintain its position as a leading retail brand, providing convenience and solace to those journeying among the stars. Thank you all so much for tuning into our podcast. We genuinely appreciate your support and your time spent listening to our discussions and stories. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we're excited to bring you more fascinating topics and insights next week. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review to let us know what you think. 
If you have any suggestions or ideas for future episodes, please feel free to reach out to us on social media or through our website. Once again, thank you for being a part of our podcast community, and we can't wait to be back in your ears next week. Until then, take care and have a fantastic week. 